Tome Show listeners, this is Sam Dillon, your Tome Editor, and the DM of the D&D Brief Podcast. D&D Brief is now going to be hosted on the Tome Show Network. To find back episodes, search under the Actual Play tab at thetomeshow.com. As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. All right. Hello, everybody. This is the D&D Brief podcast stream, and we're all really nervous, and this is our first show, so you'll have to bear with us. But uh, my name is Sam Dillon, and I'm going to be your host and DM this evening. And I have several players with me. Uh, Nina, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Nina, and I have never played D&D before, so I'm brand new, and we're going to see how this goes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Excellent. And David? Yes, a uh, longtime gamer and uh, played RPGs back in high school. Had to take a long break from it for a lucrative career in the military, and then now I'm back at it. Lucrative, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, it, you know, maybe uh, enjoyed the career, not so much monetarily. Ah, got <laughs> for it. the soul. <laughs> and Matt? Uh, I'm Matt, and I have been playing uh, 5th edition since launch, so I've uh, got quite a bit of experience, and I'm excited to play. Excellent. And I'm Sam, as I said before, and I have uh, multiple years slash decades, I guess, of experience. Um, and the idea for this show is that we get a, a wide range of people with a wide range of experience, and we teach them as we go, and some of us have more experience than others, and that's okay. And really what's going to happen is we're going to see how this campaign goes and how it works, and we're going to sort of, at the end of every session, we're going to have these sort of short two or two or two and a half hour sessions, and then at the end of every session, we're going to discuss things about the system, the game, the story, character choices, anything pretty much that anybody wants to talk about. And so this evening's session is a character creation session. So often that's called a session zero. And I know that some of you have some character concepts already, (coughs) Matt, (coughs) the the longtime player. You're you're playing a squirrel or something like that? (laughs) <laughs> no, a tabaxi, a tabaxi, oh, okay. a squirrel. He's a, he's a cat. He would be chasing the squirrels. Exactly. Oh, all right. um, <laughs> um, but uh, the first thing that we need to do is we need to go ahead and roll stats. So my house rule is one that is uh, very common, and that is that you're going to roll 46, but you're only going to count three of those. You count the three highest rolls. You're going to do that six times. And once you've done that six times, then you get to place those six numbers into the attribute spots wherever you would like them to go. So if you want your character to have high strength, you're going to put, of course, your highest number in your strength attribute. If you want them to have a high charisma, then you would put them uh, in the charisma attribute, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And so we are, uh, for the audience, we're an on your honor kind of uh, podcast. So we're not doing any kind of online dice roller. We're just going to roll dice and whatever people say they get, then that's what they get. So. Great. Okay. So we can do this all at once, and then we'll talk through uh, sort of how, how everything goes. Okay, so this should be just a, a lot of quiet while there's a lot of dice rolling going on. Right? <laughs> <laughs> not a ton of quiet. Not a ton of quiet. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell the audience a little bit about uh, the game setting. So in this cool. setting, about 50, 51 years ago, um, something happened. And no one really knows what it was, except what it caused was the oceans to rise up, or conversely, the land masses to sink. 
Uh, and when that happened, of course, now the world, which was for millennia filled with three main continents, is now just this scattered islands. And for a few weeks after this event occurred, this event is referred to as the sinking uh, by the civilized peoples of the world. And a few years, uh, a few a few weeks after this occurred, there was this constant hum in the air and a sort of bluish haze. And then that died off. And uh, then people started sort of taking stock and trying to figure out um, what the heck happened. And it's been 50 years since then. And so theoretically, some of the uh, PCs that we have could be old enough to have been uh, alive during that event, just before that event. And also, it's some of the PCs could be, uh, have, have been born after. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, the world as believed by the peoples in this particular setting, they are on what is referred to as the common plateau. That's basically your uh, sort of material plane. And that common plateau is a flat uh, square or disk. Um, and it's sort of uh, argued about by scholars whether it's actually a, a disk that's sort of hanging on the equator of a globe type structure or not. Um, and the disc is rumored to have edges to it. And each of the edges of this setting has a particular barrier that would stop people from, from traveling through that particular area. And so that's your sort of uh, generic introduction to the world. And so I hear that the most of the dice rolling has stopped. So uh, what did everybody get? <laughs> Um, well, it, it, like advice for putting them in the proper um, characteristics is probably needed. Well, maybe should we go over what characters we're playing in, in classes so we can then discuss? Yes. If you all have ideas, let's actually do that. So I know that Matt has uh, a character already sort of in mind. So Matt, do you want to uh, tell tell everyone what you are thinking of? Sure. Um, I will be playing Asha's white mane. He is a tabaxi uh, swashbuckler, or will be eventually. Um, he's a rogue. Uh, so he is a white lion, and he's got his mane has been uh, fashioned into dreadlocks, and they're tied behind him. Uh, he spent his uh, most of his life on the ship of the Maiden's Vagrant. Um, and he is uh, looking forward to uh, finding some new adventures and uh, is going to leave the uh, the vagrant behind. That part of his uh, life is over, and he'll start a new chapter. All right. Is that like, it's a big animal, like a, like you're a, like he's a lion, so it's a very muscular, large build. Um, he he's 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 humanoid sized. Uh, little, you know, he's a little large. He's, but uh, but still lithe. Uh, he's extremely agile, dexterous. Okay. Um, I I decided I want to play a halfling bard. I think that would be fine. So uh, I don't have a whole lot of background yet, but uh, I don't know a whole lot about the, the character and class. So I'm just kind of learning it as I go. Um, okay. I think um, I think I want to play a human cleric. Um, just kind of stick with my guns a little bit. Um, I know that's what we kind of talked about originally, uh, just because that's kind of the character I've always played mm -hmm. um, and just like RPGs and different kinds of things like that. So I think I do want to go with a human cleric, um, kind of looked at the domains and uh, the gods that you provided for us. So I think I have a good idea about that. Um, but backstory is still a little skimpy. 
So we'll kind of go with it. Okay. Uh, and David, you said halfling bard. Is that, did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Okay. A bard, a cleric, and a rogue. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> this, this, this could Sounds be like the start of a bad joke. Um, <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, so Nina, you said you don't have a, a ton of backstory in mind. Um, I've been kind of toying with it. Um, I kind of think you sent us a little bit on the group that kind of maps out the islands, um, the new territory. Yes. Um, and I kind of think that like one of her parents was one of those. Okay. Um, so that uh, they went missing. And when she was called to be a cleric, she's using that opportunity to go like searching for her missing parent or sibling or something like that. Okay. Uh, so are you talking about the current mapping guild? The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Excellent. All right. And her parents are missing. Oh, okay. Or at least one of them. Uh, sure. Maybe not both. Um, all right. And David, do you have uh, a backstory in mind of any kind? Uh, I, no, I think the motivation for the character is starting to come to light, which would be as a, as a bard, I think because of the, the nature of the world where there's these, these islands of, you know, small quantity, like the stories and, and known lore of the, those lands are, are probably contained within those small geographic regions. So going out into the unknown, finding new lore to write about and bring back, I think compels him. Okay. And so, uh, um, so, uh, Matt, your tabaxi character, how yep. old is, is it? Um, I would say, I don't think he's too old. They live about as long as humans. So mm -hmm. I would say he's 20s, 30s. Okay. So 30s. So you yeah. were not alive. No, definitely not. During the sinking. Anina, yeah, do no. you think that your, uh, your human was alive during the sinking? No. Okay. I was thinking oh. like 19. Okay, so young. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Neither would mine be. Mine would be like um, almost thirty. So let's say twenty-eight. Okay. Twenty-eight. Okay. Okay. Uh, since Nina mentioned her parents, uh, does David know what happened to his parents? Uh, no, I haven't thought a whole lot about that. I think maybe they're maybe they're just the humble halflings, you know, never wanting to venture far from their home, and so. He did not want that life, and so he's rejected all of that and has left all of that behind, all his loved ones. Okay. Uh, and Matt, uh, how do you pronounce your character's name? Ashes? Yeah, you could. Oh. Uh, it's Ashaz, and you Ashaz. could just call him Ash. Okay. So Ash. Ash is a stowaway? Is that what you... Yeah, yeah. So... Um... Yeah, he is a stowaway that the captain of the Maidens uh, Vagrant found. Okay. So he's just, he worked as a, I mean, they were off at sea by the time they found him. So he worked kind of as a, from a cub, as a cabin boy kind of thing and uh, grew up as uh, uh, his life on the ship. Okay. Um, okay, so let's let's go back to the stats here. Um, so, David, you're going to be a bard. 
do you uh, do you know what kind of school you're going to choose? Um, not yet. Do you, doesn't that kick in later? I think it's like a, that's like a level three. Um, yeah, but uh, I'm just I was just curious if you had uh, an oh. idea of what you were thinking of. Um, either let's see, what is the what are the two basic the two basic ones? There's the College of Lore and the College of Valor are the two basic ones. Oh yeah, and then there's the extra ones in Xanthars, right? The the new differentiations. Correct. That's correct. Um, and then lore. you think you're thinking lore. I mean, you, of course, as you said, you, you can definitely make the decision later. Uh, but uh, just if you had an idea, you could sort of use that as as figuring out how to play your character and what kind of direction and, and motivations that end up sticking for that character. And Nina, you said that uh, you were you already had it and uh, maybe a domain in mind. I do. Um, I kind of want to do the Tempest domain. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, do you know what god that you're, what deity that you were thinking about? Um, it was one of the ones you sent me. Um, started with a G. Um, Goros, maybe? Goros. Goros is the Goros. Lord, Lord of the Rain. Yep. Does, does have Tempest in domains. Okay. Excellent. That's a good choice. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm a little excited to wreak havoc with some lightning. <laughs> Perfect okay. for the, the, the ocean. Right? <laughs> Try not to electrocute everybody. Yeah. So we have a rogue who is going to be high in dexterity. Is that uh, what I'm? What I'm hearing? Yeah. And we have a bard who's probably going to be high in. Charisma. Charisma. And then we have a cleric who's going to be high in wisdom, probably. I can't remember the Tempest domain. Wisdom, Wisdom, strength, probably in there. Wisdom and strength, yeah, that's what it used. It's usually wisdom for sure, but. All right, so very good. All right, so um, so you can actually. So, uh, do you need help distributing your attributes, or is everybody okay distributing their attributes? I am a okay. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, uh, so you can apply your racial modifiers. So don't forget, uh, the human and the halfling will use my racial modifiers, not necessarily the ones out of the book. Uh, the tabaxi is directly out of Volo. Yep. Um, and also that means, let's see, that means that... The halfling. So, for the audience, my uh, in my world, halflings are innately magical, and um, so 
they start out with, uh, as long as you have an intelligence score of 10, you will start out with the ability to read magic. Oh, great. Okay, I have an 11. So, all right. Okay. Um, if you end up uh, being proficient in Arcana, um, that is all, all of you, if you end up being proficient in Arcana, you automatically get the ability to read magic. Uh, and that's just the, the writing that the mages use to write down spells and, and things like that? Right. So uh, anytime there's a, a magical glyph or a ward or a spell or like a teleportation circle or any sort of uh, item that has been imbued with power solely from the arcane aspect, not from the divine aspect, that is going to have some magical writing that basically looks like gibberish unless you can read magic. Read magic, it, it's almost like having an extra sensory knowledge where when you look at the words, they will form actual things you can understand rather than just random letters and numbers all mushed together. Okay. So, let's see. So, of course, everybody's starting out at level one. That's uh, that's a given. And um, did you... Uh, did anyone... Uh, so I, I had said, I think, I think I mentioned to you that you, everyone should pick at least one personality trait that really is the thing that sort of is their major personality driver, not necessarily your motivation, but just, you know, if, if everybody you met had to describe you as one in, in one word or one phrase, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Is there a, are these specific from in the player's handbook or are these just anything? It, it can be something from the tables in the player's handbook or it could be anything that you decide is for your character. What page in the player's handbook, just for reference? So those are going to be connected to the backgrounds. Page 121. Okay. So if you end up picking a background... The first actual background description is on page 127, mm -hmm. and they continue all the way through page 141. And the only one that really has any changes in uh, in the setting are the, is the sailor, which has those variants that I put in the setting document that I passed around to you. Um, now, as I said, you don't have to pick something off of there. Uh, everyone has to have a flaw, but the flaw doesn't have to necessarily come from the table. So if you roll, uh, if you decide on a background, the thing that that background is really giving you is a couple of skill proficiencies and uh, possibly some extra languages and some equipment and that will be your starting equipment along with the trinket that we that we determine and then it provides you with these ideas for personality traits ideals bonds and flaws now the 
one of the things that we discussed, if you remember, was inspiration and how that works. And the idea in the book is that inspiration is meant to be awarded when someone plays their personality and ideals, bonds, and flaws uh, really well. And then the DM is supposed to give them a point of inspiration, and then they can use it for various different things. Uh, And I think uh, what I had mentioned to you was that my house rule, the way that works is when you guys see the other players doing something really great or really creative or really fun or really interesting or that really plays and, and makes, you know, sort of solidifies their character personality and their character traits and just their idea of, you know, However, they, you know, if what they do allows you to see their character better, then you can award them inspiration. Okay. And that works the same way as if the DM had awarded it, but you guys get to award it. But the regular rule applies that you can only have one inspiration point at a time. You can always donate your inspiration point to someone else if they are in need at that time, even if they don't do something that's fantastic or cool or whatever. But if you don't have a point of inspiration to give them at that point, you can tell me that you think their creative idea or their item that they, whatever they did that, that made you think, wow, that was really cool. I will give them an inspiration point if you tell me that you think they deserve it. Got it. Okay. Um, and so having said that, that's part of the reason why I say, you know, it's not absolutely necessary that you have all four of these items, a personality trait, an ideal, a bond, a flaw, but a lot of times for newer players or for players that haven't played this edition or for players with a new DM, like this particular group, um, the, uh, the fact of having the personality trait, the idea, the bond, the flaw kind of gives you, a a a key to play off of if you're not sure what to do or you're not sure what direction to go or how you want your character to be conceived. And the funniest thing that happens is a lot of times um, when I play with new players and they start rolling on these things, they go, well, that sounds kind of neat, but I feel like I want something slightly different. And then they want to change what it was just a little bit. And I'm totally okay with that. So if you roll on these tables and it sort of, sparks your creativity to do something slightly different and you want to um, change it a little bit to make it more match what you're thinking of, that's totally okay with me. You just got to let me know. Got it. Um, and so does anybody know what background they're going to be? I'm going to be a sailor. Okay. Did you pick a variant or are you going with the one right out of the book? I think I'm just going to go with the one right out of the book. You got it. What about Nina and Dave? Is there something that's like a cartographer? Is that one for mapping purposes? Um, Is there a cartographer? Uh, Maybe a sage? There there is a... So there's a variant sailor, which is a cartographer, which is in the setting guide, if I included it. Let's see if I can find it here. (coughs) 
Uh, nope, it's navigator. That's what the one I put in. Um, so yeah, so uh, the the thing is that the navigator that's in the setting guide is basically could also work as a cartographer. Okay. Um, because you end up with cartographers' tools, navigators' tools, and proficiency with water vehicles. So if you actually wanted to be related to the cartographers, or you wanted to have that as your sort of what your career goal is. Uh, for your character, then that would be the the actual setup that I would pick, the background that I would pick. I see. Hmm. Oh, so these determine which skill proficiencies you you get as well, right? Uh, yep. Yes. Yep. They they give you a skill proficiency, a tool proficiency, and uh, starting equipment, and usually some sort of other benefit like. Uh, um, like the the noble gets the position of privilege benefit, and the hermit gets the discovery benefit, and so uh, so the variant ones that I put here in the in the setting guide go with the sailor background that's on page uh, one thirty nine. So basically, you just replace the skill, tool, and equipment. You just replace the skill proficiencies and tool proficiencies with what's listed on this variant background in the setting guide. And then uh, it tells you that you can either choose to have the ship's passage feature or you can choose the sense of direction feature. I see. So the equipment that's there is the same equipment. So the equipment on the sailor's background is the same, even if you chose the navigator. Oh no, I'm lying. I I listed the equipment here too. Haha, ha, never mind. Okay, yeah, I, th I think I'm gonna go with Sage. That actually is a pretty good fit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nina, what do you think? Mm. Um. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking um, maybe Guild Artisan. Maybe. Okay. Because mostly I was thinking um, like before, maybe before the, um, the sinking, um, my players or my character's parents were like merchants. Mm -hmm. And they were like part of this um, merchant's guild. And then one of them went off to like map the territories and then um, disappeared. Okay. So I was kind of thinking about that, but I don't think I want my character like tied to one of those because she, I was kind of feeling like she didn't want to be a part of that. And she like wanted to go exploring and wanted to go find her missing parent. I don't know. I have, I, hmm. Because I'm looking so at go ahead. the bond part is really where I'm getting stuck. Yeah. I like so, the ideals. So there's there's a couple of ways to go about this. So what you could do is you could think about it like, well, for your the first part of your life, if your parents belonged to one of these guilds, you probably grew up amongst the people that are in that guild. And so you would have learned a lot of those skills just from being around that. Yeah. And, um, you know, there might've been an expectation that you would also uh, join the guild and whatnot, but if yeah. you change your mind, you know, um, 
what you could do is you could sort of mesh these since you don't you're not you know thrilled about the bonds of course um you can mesh the kind of idea of the background of the guild artisan with another background um and choose the bond from that instead uh so for example hmm, that's a good one I guess the question is, if you wanted to be, if you you didn't want to be part of the part of the guild, what did you tell your parents you wanted to do? Like, what? How did you tell them you don't want to be in the guild? So I feel like mm, I feel like if anything, she wanted to like go out and research like what happened. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like she wants to know what it was, what the sinking was, what's happening. I feel like she wanted to research what it was, and I feel like as like when she was called to be a cleric, she's using that as an excuse to like get out of it, out of the guild. Okay. She's not so, like tied to her deity, but or at least not yet. But now she's like, oh, I have an excuse to leave and find my missing parent. And so what you can do is you can um, you can choose the acolyte background. Okay. And if you uh, if you so you said that you just you're getting hung up on the bonds of the guild artisan, mm -hmm. but the personality traits and ideals are okay with you. Yes. Okay. So instead of using uh, the bond table, you can actually use the bond table from the acolyte, but Ooh. replace replace the sort of things when it talks about relics of my faith with, uh, you know, the cause of the sinking, or yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. I like that. Um, if you, you know, I mean, some of these aren't, some of these wouldn't fit that, but you could easily change something. Uh, so for example, the one that says number three, I owe my life to the priest who took me in when my parents died. You could say, well, I owe, I owe my life to the, the priest who accepted me when I, refused guild membership or something like that right yeah. like it doesn't have to be that your parents actually died but okay. you know once once you choose not to join the guild um you know you're kind of turning away from the family business in a way um on the other hand if one of your parents was involved in uh some kind of cartography trip and the ship was lost or or they never came back or or what mm -hmm. have you uh it might actually be that you you sought out uh, some deific power or something to try to help lead you to the answers to the questions that you seek. It's not That's so much really about you learning the divine origin of the world. It's yeah. more about you learning, okay, you blame the sinking on what happened to your parent. Uh, and so that, you know, that's how that works. Um Somebody in chat said Outlander. 
So if you if you take a look at the Outlander, it's actually not a bad idea. Um, the Outlander is kind of an explorer type uh, person. Um, so you could actually mesh together the Guild Artisan and the Outlander if you wanted to look at the bonds there. Okay. Hey, Sam. Yes. Um, real quick, I completely forgot about the uh, variant for the sailor for the navigator. And yes. I remember in kind of when we were chit-chatting back and forth uh, about Ash, that he would be... Uh, he was at the helm of uh, the maid, uh, the maiden's vagrant for a while. So, do you think I could switch that real quick to the navigator? Sure, absolutely. Awesome. Okay, be a good thing. I think knowing where to go is probably uh, a good place <laughs> yeah, to yeah, yeah. <laughs> knowing where to go. Uh, so, Dave, uh, your halfling bard is a stage. Yeah, I'm looking. Do you think it's better initially to go with? Just uh, what is it, the um, performer? That that way it plays to my my strengths of, of my stats because the um, uh, the sage picks skills that are like my lowest stats for proficiencies. Um, I so here is my my personal philosophy. I think that you should build a character that you're going to enjoy playing. So if the background doesn't actually make you have the things that you want, you should pick a different one. Um, Do we get any more skills, proficiencies, other than the ones that are listed in the, uh, the background? Um, you sometimes, based on class, you're going to get some skill proficiencies. So, for example, uh, clerics, I, only because the book is open to this page, clerics uh, get two skill proficiencies from history, insight, medicine, persuasion, and religion. And so you, as a uh, as a bard, you're going to get to choose from uh, any three skills, right? So okay, yours so. is pretty much wide open. Oh, okay, that's fine then, because it'll yeah. allow me to still. Because I was thinking a bard without performance would probably be a bad way to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, I I, I have a, a less a constrained <clears throat> idea of what a bard is. Sometimes bards uh, don't necessarily perform. Maybe they're writers. Maybe they're writing everything down. They don't necessarily go do a spoken word kind of thing, right? Uh, and in that case, Sage does more match maybe how that, you know what I'm saying? So, but yeah. I, as I said, my personal philosophy is you should play the game that you want to play. So you should be playing the character that most matches how you think you're conceiving of what's going to happen for you. Um, I will also just tell you that uh, if we play this game for a couple of sessions and you realize, oh, you know, this character really isn't the, doing the things that I thought they were going to be able to do or that I, that I thought I, that I was giving them the ability to do or that they were going to be good at, we can totally reconfigure things, you know. I mean, within limits, right? You can't make a whole new character, but you can fiddle with things. And if you decide that the skills that you have don't actually match what you thought you were making, we can, we can talk about changing those things around. I'm totally flexible about that sort of thing. Great. Yeah. I'll stick with Sage. Okay. All right. My pencils decided to give me some problems. So Nina, yes. what do you think? <laughs> I am 
honestly leaning more just towards Acolyte. Okay. Um, the only thing I really like about uh, the Guild Artisan is the ideal of freedom. Mm-hmm. I like that part. But otherwise, really, um, my personality trait, bond, and flaw all come from Acolyte. Okay. That sounds good to me. I mean, I'm not, you know, like I said. Is that all good? Yeah, no, that's perfect. Okay, cool. But um, but I do need to write those down. So Ash yeah. is a sailor navigator. Yep. Swashbuckling rogue, or soon to be swashbuckling rogue. Swashbuckling. Swashy swashy. I'm gonna get hung up on that every single time. I hope you guys know that. Good. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, and so, uh, what um, ideal did Ash pick? Uh, Ash Ash's ideal leans toward freedom. He believes that life uh, is totally individual. You be your own rainbow and live it to the fullest and live loose and wild and crazy and fun. Awesome. And what's his bond? Uh, What he holds dear is loyalty to his past crew, friends, family, and to new, new friends, uh, He's those who are close to him. If you're a friend, you're family. So he really holds on to that. Okay. And uh, his flaw? Uh, Sometimes his pride can blind him uh, and he will never back down if his courage is challenged. Okay. You all hear that, right? (laughs) That means you might have to uh, pull him by the tail out of there. Oh, you're, like, Lord. you're like Martin McFly. If someone calls you chicken, it's over. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's over. <laughs> um, okay. And so did you did you jot down a, a personality factoid or, or phrase? Uh, yeah, so um, I in the first person, I always try to make new friends over ale or rum. I'm really leaning into the whole sailor thing. So okay. rum is definitely on the menu. <laughs> Okay. Um, Dave, ideals, bonds, flaws, personality. Uh, I'm still looking for a bond, but so ideal is change. Life is like the seasons and constant change and we must change with it. Okay. And then for flaws, curious, I don't like to leave a stone unturned and I want to know the answers to mysteries. Okay. You all hear that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> Means you're going to have to uh, pull him away. from. <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> sensing a theme. <laughs> you guys are going to kill me. <laughs> I swear. Uh, Nina, <laughs> ideals, bonds, flaws. Okay. So my ideal is freedom. Um, everyone should be free to pursue his or own, her own livelihood. I like it. I dig it. Yeah. Me too. And Bond? Uh, My Bond, um, I would die to recover information on the sinking that took my mother away from me. Okay. You guys hear that? She would die. I know. I was mentally keeping that in my head. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be fun. And uh, Flaw? Um, I judge others harshly and myself even more severely. 
Ooh. Perfect. Okay. All right. Um, now your background gives you some equipment and your class. Uh, <clears throat> your class gives you some equipment as well. Um, so uh, I will let you guys uh, deal with those things, and we can talk about those in a minute. Um, and I need to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. When you have a second, I'd like to discuss uh, Ash's equipment. Yes. So um, Yeah, go ahead. So I was just going to say, uh, so just to hit the things that are the same for everyone, everyone is first level. Um, everyone has a plus, plus two proficiency bonus and no inspiration right now. Oh, man. Sorry. You all have one hit die of whatever type that matches your class. So the hit dice are based on class. Um, so that will be in, in the PHB in your class listing. Also, everyone is proficient in two saving throws. That is also listed in your class. Um, everybody's hit points at first level are, hit, are the maximum that you can have. So it's going to be the full, as if you had rolled a hit die to the maximum, plus your constitution modifier. Okay. What's the constitution modifier for 15? 15 is going to be a plus two. Yep. I'm double checking my own self. <laughs> the modifiers, just for reference, are on page 13. Okay. And so HP of nine. That's pretty good for starting HP, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, it's a D8, and my constitution is 13. Nice. Um, in fact, what I'm going to do after, uh, as as we're going, is I am going to actually write down everybody's hit points, AC, and passive perception. So, uh, at, you want to talk about Ash's equipment? Yes, as a rogue, I get a short sword, mm -hmm. and then I have the option to choose another short sword. Yes. Instead of a short sword, can I flavor it uh, more toward a scimitar and have it actually be a cutlass? Two cutlasses. Sure. Cool. I don't have a problem with that. So it's still the 1d6 it's slashing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's mechanically the same as a short sword, but uh, you you're a yep. big pirate. So um, also, I'm going to ask everybody's alignment. Okay. Um, I'm chaotic neutral. Oh, there's always one in every party. <laughs> well, maybe I'm not that. What's where's the the defining of that? That's so those are actually in their beginning of the background section, uh, page one twenty two. Unlike in in past editions, uh, or unlike in some of the older editions, alignment is not something that is usually. Uh, extremely important. Uh, for example, you know, in, in older editions, uh, for example, second edition, you would have a paladin and it, your paladin had to be a certain alignment. And if you stray, if your behavior strayed away from upholding that alignment, then um, 
that might change your character. You might lose powers until you please your deity again and such and such. Um, but, you know, in fifth edition, it's a little more loosey goosey. There's not really a ton that is connected directly to alignments. Although um, I still tend to think in terms of good versus evil kind of, you know, there, there are some sort of overarching themes in terms of good versus evil that, that might come into play. That doesn't mean that it's going to affect your alignment or that your alignment's going to affect that, but you'll probably see different, those different themes arise. So that's why I say in my setting guide, no evil alignments, but other than that, I'm, I'm fine with whatever alignment that you decide to choose. I'll put it this way. Uh, if you decide to be lawful good, but you keep acting like a chaotic neutral person i'm gonna start to say what's going on because <laughs> uh, you might conceive of yourself as lawful good but actually that would mean that the other you know npcs and whatnot in the world actually sort of conceive of you as a chaotic neutral type of person uh, and that might change how certain things work so uh, but it's not uh it wouldn't be a punishment kind of thing like where without warning, I suddenly say, oh, you know, because you've been acting so weird, I'm suddenly taking away all your powers. Like that's not, I don't, I don't do that. So. Uh, Ash's alignment is going to be chaotic. Good. Okay. Oh. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Let me read. No. Uh, and then, oh, I'll also, so I'll, I'm going to ask for one, two, three, four things. I'm going to ask for hit points. Oh, no, five things. Sorry. <laughs> Taking notes as I go. Uh, hit points, armor class, passive perception, initiative, and alignment. Those are the things I'm going to be dealing with. So, Nina, you are the newest player. So where mm -hmm. where are you at right now? What are, what What are you stuck on? Okay. So I have... Um... My hit points, neutral good, by the way. Okay. And you've got your hit points. You said there were nine? Yes. Okay. And then your armor class is going to come from whatever armor you're wearing? Um, I am proficient in light and medium, so I chose the medium scale male. Okay. And so let's see. That gives you what kind of AC? Um, 13. Okay. Nope. Nope. 14. 14 plus your dexterity modifier. Oh. And you have disadvantage on stealth checks with that armor on. Okay. Do you have my dexterity modifier? I do not. Okay. Because I, I only have nine dexterity. So okay. that's, that's going to be negative one. one. Yeah. Oh, so that's why you're saying 13. Aha. That's... And yes, you are correct. Thirteen. Something like that. Yeah, I'm sticking with chaotic neutral. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, do you know what your hit points are? Uh, let's see. Hit dice is D8, so it's eight plus con bonus, right? Which is two, so ten. Yes. Okay. Uh, Nina, did you get a? Um, what's your passive perception? That's going to be. Um, 10 plus your wisdom perception score? Um, 12, so I think. Your passive perception is going to be your wisdom modifier. Mm -hmm. If you are proficient in perception, it's going to be a plus two added to that. 
and then passive is a 10. So, so let's say you're, if you, if you have a wisdom modifier of plus two and you're proficient in, in, uh, perception your passive perception would be 14 because it'd be 10 plus 2 plus 2 okay if you're not proficient you don't count one of those plus twos okay you don't have a modifier you don't count that it's 11 so your pat your passive is 11 okay so for all of these skills um we we put the number based on what our proficiency bonus or uh, stat bonuses. And then if it's a skill that we have proficiency in, then we actually get the proficiency bonus. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. So, so uh, I don't know if you're looking at a character sheet or if you're looking at like D and D beyond or something, but most of the character sheets that are created, they have a little, some way to check, like put a check mark next to some of the skills to show that you're proficient in them. Okay. The standard uh, sort of D and D, you know, if you look in the back of the player's handbook, the D and D, character sheet has a little circle and then a line next to each skill. The yeah. circle is so that if you're proficient in that, you color that in, you know that you're proficient in it. So you're always going to add your proficiency bonus. The line is for you to actually add, you know, put the number that you would add to your role. So for example, if you're proficient in acrobatics, you would color the dot next to that. And then for your acrobatics check, you would have your dexterity modifier plus your proficiency bonus, and that's what you would put in the number in the on the line next to that circle. Okay. And then, so you can actually go all you could like. I, I like the way they do their standard sheet because it tells you uh, which skill is related to which attribute. So you can actually go down the line and say, "Oh, all the dex ones, I'm going to have a modifier of plus two, and you go down, and then if you have proficiency on any of those, you just add an extra plus two. Anything passive is means it's a 10 plus whatever your role would be. So the passive items that they um, that they that are sometimes used is really just as if you roll a d20 and you roll a 10 every time. So if you're not even paying attention to it, you're ba- you're going to get an average of a 10 plus whatever your ability would be. So that's why passive perception is 10 plus whatever your perception skill is. Um. trying to think if there's anything now for as you guys are filling those in uh for initiative your initiative is really just your dexterity modifier uh unless you also have a feat or something some kind of ability that that gives you a bonus to that um, which no one has probably at this moment so in the box that says initiative you're just going to put whatever your dexterity modifier is your speed is going to be based on the race, so you'll find a speed entry in any of the racial uh, entries that you look at. And uh, let's see. Um, so the last thing that I need to know is usually the hardest thing for people to come up with if they haven't already thought about it, and that is the name. So Matt already has a name <laughs> for his character. So uh Nina, do you have a name for your character yet? Um, <laughs> I've literally been thinking about this all day, and I still have not really come up with something. Two of the names that I kind of like that I'm okay with, the first one's Emerin, and the second one is Treyabel. Okay. But I like the first one. The first one? Emerin. That's, yeah, that sounds good. That's my Fire Emblem coming out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait. <laughs> you want to spell it for me? 
E-M-M-E-R-Y-N. Okay, perfect. The new one can't come out soon enough. (laughs) I'm pumped. I'm really excited. Dave, do you have a name for your character? Yes. Uh, Axley Tillingquest. All right, you want to spell it for me? (laughs) A-X-L-E-Y T-I-L-L-I-N-G-Q-U-E-S-T. All right. Tilling quest. All right, nice. Okay. And then I'm trying to make notes that make sense to myself. So, Ash, what's your AC? My AC is 15. Uh, Axley, what is your AC? And that's based off what? Your AC is based off whatever armor you're wearing. Or if you have an ability that lets you uh, have no armor and then you use your dex modifier. Okay, so I probably have, I think, light armor, right? So, like leather armor? What would that Mm -hmm. say? So, leather armor is going to be... 11 plus dex. Yep. And you do not have disadvantage on stealth checks with that. Uh, So, that makes it 14. Okay. And, Imarin, what did you say yours was? Mine... 13, I think. Oh, 13. Okay. Uh, and hit points, Ash. Ash has 11 hit points. Good, you can fend for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and Imarin has nine. nine. And Axley has 10, is that correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. Wow. And what is everybody's passive perception? Passive perception. Ash's passive perception is 17. Okay. Passive perception is going to be 10 plus your wisdom (laughs) modifier, plus if you're proficient in perception, then it's the proficiency bonus. Gotcha. Okay. Perception. Okay. So my perception is, well, my wisdom's 10. So that means it's 10, right? So your wisdom is 10. So that has a plus zero bonus on it. So and so passive perception is going to be 10 plus zero. And if you are proficient in perception, you'll add your proficiency bonus to that, but you're okay. probably not proficient in perception. Is that I, correct? Okay. So your passive perception is a 10. And Marin. Passive perception. What's that? Is that? I don't see passive perception anywhere, anywhere in the character sheet. Oh, there. Oh, passive wisdom. They call it. Okay. Yeah, so the way that they write uh, skill checks in this edition is they write the attribute that's attached to that skill check, and then they write the actual skill that's being used. And the reason they do that is because um, really what this means is usually perception is related to your wisdom attribute, but it's actually up to the DM to choose which attribute is going to modify that check. So if I decide that... uh, I mean, this perception is usually almost always wisdom, but let's say uh, for with acrobatics, I might decide that your acrobatics, instead of using your dexterity modifier, based on what you're doing, it might use your strength modifier. Um, and that then that would be a strength acrobatics check versus, right? So that's why they do that. So they that that's sort of their traditional or their sort of... Uh, the way that they try to write things in, in the books that they publish it always attaches an attribute to the skill that they want you to be checking. Okay. Um, Imarin, what was your passive perception? 12. Okay. 
And then everybody's initiative. Initiative is based on dexterity, which is. Yeah, that's a negative one. <laughs> and Axley. Initiative based on dexterity. So it's it just equal to? It's your dexterity modifier. Oh, the modifier. Okay, plus three. Okay. And Ash. Plus four. Plus four. So you two are going to rush in. I'm going to hang back. <laughs> and not so fast. Maybe I'm rushing away. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, maybe. <laughs> I was going to say, with your guys' um, personality traits, it sounds like you're going to be rushing into a bunch of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, all right, what else? Everybody, Does everybody have equipment? I know I didn't give you a lot of time to do that. Yep. No, I, need to, I, I got some of the basic stuff that's listed on the, you know, the, the character um, background, but I need to go through and flesh it out. Okay. So let's talk about how you determine what your attack bonus is. So okay. your attack bonus, if you are making a melee attack, so anything with your hands, basically, it's going to be a d20 roll just like a skill check, but it is going to be a d20 plus, if you're making a melee attack, your strength modifier, so plus one, plus two, plus three, or minus one, minus two, plus your proficiency bonus, if you are proficient in the weapon that you're using, and most people are. Um, the beginning packages they put attached to the classes always give you a weapon you're proficient with. Um, and then the damage that that is going to do is based on the type of weapon, and then you will add your strength modifier to the damage as well. Now, if you're going to make a ranged attack, so something like with a bow and arrow, or you're gonna throw something, uh, you're going to use your dexterity modifier instead of your strength modifier. Uh, and then if you're proficient, you'll also use your proficiency bonus. And then your damage is going to be just the weapon damage. Okay. So for any weapon that you end up getting in your, uh, in your set of equipment, then you need to make sure that you can easily calculate what your role is to hit with that. Um, a lot of times uh, things that happen are... Uh, you might end up without your weapons, or you might use an improvised weapon. And in general, improvised weapons do 1d4 damage, and they're almost always uh, thrown, and they'll do 1d4 to 1d6 damage. Or if you're hitting somebody over the head with it, it's basically treated like a club. Um, so it's basically a 1d4 damage. Um, I, however, am flexible with that. I feel like if you pick up something that, you know, a board with nails in it is probably going to do more than a fist would. So uh, at that time, when you pick up an improvised weapon, we'll discuss what the effects of that particular weapon are. Either way, the two hit is still D20 plus strength modifier. You're not necessarily proficient in improvised weapons, but... It depends on what it is. I'm flexible with that as well. Um, it's kind of up to us to tell a story. And I feel like, look, if you live your life on a ship, you're probably proficient with a belaying pin as a club. So there's no reason to not add your, you know, your proficiency bonus to that. Uh, that would feel 
um, too constraining to me. On the other hand, um, you know, unless you live your life in the tavern and you're constantly getting into bar brawls and using a stool or chair as a weapon, um, you might not be proficient with <laughs> using a chair. Uh, so that would be something that would have to be talked about at the time. Um, let's see. So we have attributes. We have modifiers. We have passive scores. We have, oh, so what we didn't talk about is saving throws. So each class grants you save proficiency in two of your saving throws, usually in uh, two that kind of relate to what your skill sets are, like what ha the type, the character conception. Uh, and that's also why though on those sheets, they have a circle next to those. So you can color in the ones that have uh, proficiency. Um, otherwise, saving throws work a lot like skill checks where you're just rolling a d20 you're adding your uh modifier for that particular attribute and then you are either proficient in it or you're not and i think that brings us to the end of the first page there uh, is a is a um a bow and arrow is that considered simple weapons is that a simple weapon proficiency yeah it depends so on the bow it depends. So if you look on page uh, 149, there's actually a chart that separates the weapons uh, into groups. So there's simple melee, and then there's simple ranged, and then there's martial melee and martial ranged. Okay. Uh, it turns out that light crossbows and short bows are simple ranged weapons. Who else has questions? Does everybody understand their basic class abilities? Yes. I believe so. Yeah, I guess I my so. one question. Mm -hmm. um, when I start out, I get a holy symbol. What is that? So a uh, holy symbol normally is... So there's a couple ways to think about it. Um a holy symbol is something that you're going to use to sort of channel your divine energy through or that you um, have on you. So it could be like a necklace. It okay. could be a talisman that you ha that you keep in your pocket or your bag or a pouch that you have to pull out. Yeah. It could be something that you attach to a shield or a weapon or a helmet. You could actually embroider it into your clothing. Okay. Um, and basically what it is, is in the terms, in terms of uh, Goras, it's going to be on this table. It tells you what the symbol is. And it says that Goras is a sickle and a cloud. And so on your, on your clothing or in, on your items, or it might be a standalone like amulet that you wear, there's going to be that symbol somewhere. And the followers, followers of Goras will know that you are also a follower of Gores because okay. you're, you're holding that holy symbol. And not only that, but you are probably pretty devout because most people, even if they believe that that God exists or they, they think that God has some sort of power in the world, they don't necessarily walk around with the symbol yeah. on themselves. Um, whereas since you, you do, people will get the idea, okay, you're, you're either a priest or some kind of an acolyte or you right. work in the church or the temple or possibly you're like a paladin. Okay. 
um, depending on what, you know, yeah. uh, you're, you're pretty, you're relatively heavily armored because you have scale mail on and not everybody yeah. has access to scale mail. So people probably think you're, you know, you're maybe some kind of paladin or something Okay. <laughs> uh, because you're wearing, you know, some pretty good armor. So what else? Who has questions? I think it's coming together. So yeah, I, I think I'm definitely going to go with the short bow. Okay. Um, so uh, while you're finishing that up, I have some questions for you. My first question is, how did the three of you meet? <laughs> uh, are we going to are we going to start where we are are booked on a ship to leave the main island, or are we just we're just on the main island that we grew up on and we're um, not leaving it? We're just in a, you know in this common place. You're not leaving yet. Okay. You're not leaving yet. Well, you might leave by the end of tonight, but you're not leaving. You're not on a boat right now. Okay. Are we going to start on a large city? Are the biggest city on the island? That's a good question. So you are starting in on the island of Thud in the town called Trastenfin. Trastenfin is the port town there in Trast Bay, which is the largest port there on that main island. And it's got a relatively large population. It's probably 4,000 souls. Uh, so not extremely huge, but large for this area of the world okay. and large for this size island. Um, it has a large refugee population. And uh, most of the people that are there make their living from the sea somehow. So they either fish or have trading uh, vessels or they are merchants or uh, contractors who contract for goods to be shipped. They warehouse them and then they have land merchants take them to the other small towns and villages on the island. Um, and of course, there are two or three different inns, and there are, you know, plenty of houses. There's lots of little fishermen's huts and whatnot. Uh, it's relatively large, but it's not super huge. So it's not it's not a large city like a Waterdeep would be. Waterdeep would have several different wards and several different power structures, several different uh, guard units and and lots of different uh people that are part of the nobility and part of the the power structure in the town uh this town has a mayor and there is a a, a guard force <laughs> um but they're really they're the peacekeepers they're really there not to punish people but just to make sure that there's not any funny business going on and no one is getting you know beat up and mugged and all that kind of stuff um in other words, there's not there's not a huge jail, you know, in the town. Uh, typically, if someone is unruly or someone shows up that causes problems for the town, they tell them get out of here. You're not welcome at our port anymore. And this uh, this particular town has a large um, transient population, not as in homeless, but as in people who show up. They're there for a while and then they leave because they come on boats. They have a shore leave for a few days. They load up their ship. They get out. Uh, this particular island happens to be a pretty big shipping hub in that way, and that is its main way of doing business. There are not a huge amount of natural resources other than ocean-related items. Um, there's There are forests on the island, but uh, 
the, the town and the island are not large wood exporters or anything like that. So most of the business that comes to and from this place is all about shipping and having a place to settle down for a few days while you're waiting out a storm and things like that. The bay, Trast Bay, is protected. So the landmass sort of curls in almost. And so the bay has cliffs on each side so that it's protected from wind. So lots of ships go there uh, to find a safe place to stay for a few days while they're waiting out a large storm. That also means there's a lighthouse there uh, on the on the outcropping, large rocky outcropping. So that's where you are. Okay. I don't know if you were actually born here or if you, your family was, well, let's see, you're all young enough that you probably were born on the island, although maybe not in Trastenfin itself. Um, but you all know each other. So okay. how did you meet? Well, so for Axley, the reason he's here, he, he left his, his quaint uh, halfling village because he was growing tired of the insular nature of his scholarly studies and questions. The more questions were raised than answers from those old tunes. And so he, he just felt the draw of all those unanswered questions. He had to go where, where people are, where trade is, where ships are coming and going, and where there would, would be tales of, of what else is out there. So that's why he's at this, at this town. So he's okay. been studying, you know, if they have a library, he's been going there. He's been hanging out the, the, the docks, talking to sailors as they come off the boats to hear uh, what their tales of the sea, what's beyond the island. So, well, okay. Did you say there was? So, is there a library so, uh, on the island? There is prop. There is an, a library. Yes, um, like something <laughs> small that makeshift. Yeah, it's it's. Um, so, as I said, there's a lot of refugees here, and these refugees all basically brought their entire set of possessions, remaining possessions, with them, and lots of people perished. Once they got to the island, uh, they, they didn't survive. And their items, instead of just throwing those out, um, anything that was useful was commandeered and, and handed out to the other refugees so that people could survive easier. And anything that was um, scholarly in origin or that, that it, pretty much anything that had any sort of documentation um, or anything that was a curiosity or something that people didn't know anything about got put into the library. Now, okay. the library is not a huge, extensive, you know, yeah. hall of things, and it's not even really well organized. It's more like a giant thrift store where people, yeah. but instead of selling things, they just have things there. Yeah. And if someone shows up and says, hey, that's my great uncle Bimble Shroom's old <laughs> cane. Then they then they basically right. will say, "Hey, if you can show that that really is true, then we'll give you that item." Yeah, it's more like a storage locker than yeah. It, over the years now, because there, that doesn't happen very often anymore, where people show up and say, "Hey, that's my family's item." Now right. it really is more like a true library where people don't really come and take the things out of it. So so yes and no. There is a library. Yeah. It's not all that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like a library. It's more like a makeshift repository for goods and curious items. But the stories that accompany those items and the stories of the refugees bringing them would definitely be something that actually would be interested in hanging around and trying to learn from. For sure. For sure. And even 50 years later, you know, there are some people that ended up on islands and tried to survive there and the island ended up being too harsh and they try to hop on the first ship out of there and they try to go to the largest city known and 
they end up in Trastenfin. Even now, even now, there are refugees that float in on makeshift rafts and different things. And they'll say things like, oh, we've been stranded for 20 years. And here we are. And now we're in a big city. And so, so there are still a few things that come in every once in a while. Sometimes people, uh, when they're traveling around, they find a shipwreck that has goods in it. And of course, they take the valuable things, right? <laughs> and then with any kind of paperwork, people know that you can take it to the library in Trastenfin and it'll be stored at least. Okay. So Axley is at the library. So are you telling me that Emerin uh, uh, is also at the library? I would imagine um, that would actually be probably somewhere she would go, uh, or at least relatively frequently stop by, um, at least like kind of looking for information. Um, I was going to say that could be, she might have like found the symbol of Goras at the library and like taken it to the priest and like become an acolyte that way um, or something along those lines. Um, Okay just looking for information about her mother, finding out about this, um, this goddess and um, kind of connecting the dots and seeing if she could invoke the help of this goddess and become a cleric that way. Okay. So your mother's missing. Yes. What happened to your father? Father's still around. Um, I was thinking probably, um, he was a merchant before the sinking, but probably became either like, um, I was looking at the artisan guild thing, a uh, sailmaker or a uh, shipwright, something along those lines to like make a living and support the family. Um, so he's probably still around like making ships, making sails, doing that sort of thing. Well, I guess that kind of connects the two of us. What about Ash? Yeah. So is your is your race is it from it's not native to this island right in other words it's not something that we would have seen before you're, you're you know unusual. what i tried to get some information from sam and i don't know if it was particularly clear or not but um so i'm really not sure maybe uh but ash would definitely be in the uh probably in the tavern mm-hmm. uh, you know drinking trying to make new Fair friends enough. But if you guys were in a, in the library, he might have gone with and uh, started looking up stories to tell people, you know, looking up stories about fighting Krakens and then, you know, for down the road, you know, tell people that, you know, maybe he fought a Kraken single-handedly. You never know. So well, the tavern is somewhere I definitely would hang out too, considering the amount of stories that go on there. And if I right. saw you, which I don't think I'd be able to miss you based on appearance. Yeah. It's not, if it's not an appearance I'm familiar with, it'd definitely be very intriguing and I would want to yes. go introduce myself and find out about you. Perfect. I was going to say, what if it's like a secondhand thing? What if Emeryn met Axley in the library, they got to talking, went to the tavern for a drink, and then the three of us started talking. Perfect. So you've got you've got to come meet this crazy white lion <laughs> that hangs out in the tavern. You need to watch the drink. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, he would definitely be at a table uh, quite possibly not at a table he would be welcome at. It's kind of like he just pulled up a chair and (laughs) I am now in your conversation, regardless if you invited me or not. And I think we just did the same thing. So we probably just took the people out of their table. (laughs) Another round. Hey, where are y'all going? Another (laughs) round. Perfect. 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 I'm good with that. All right. 
the, I read the the guide. It was really really great. He I, the background material he wrote was very interesting. It's going to be a real interesting setting. It yeah, it, yeah, definitely crazy. There was so much to it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of thought went into it. I'm really excited to actually play. Yeah, it's impressive the amount of detail that went into it. Yeah, and it's cool too because it's not the it's not like the same old trope, right? You're not just trancing yeah. around Greyhawk, and so yeah, it's it's it, it fits the theme, which is exploration. It's yeah, into the unknown. Right, it's yeah, out there. definitely. Yeah, it's really cool. It kind of harkens back to like what the old the Narnia and the Voyage of the Dawn Treader and those kind yeah. of stories. Yeah, <laughs> I need to read a little bit more in the player's handbook to find out about uh, you know, how the skills work and. We should we outfit our characters with just basic sundries, or how does that work? Do we have money that we spend initially to buy things like you know if we want to have certain types of clothes, or uh, you know, uh, a lot of the backgrounds provide um, kind of the basic necessities. So, like my sailor background gives me a basic set of traveler's clothes. Uh, the armor that I'm wearing with it gets you with the class, um, but. If you look at the class you chose, it should have given you a pack, and yeah. you you had a choice between like two or three packs, um, and each of those have your basic. Uh, some come with rations, a bedroll, a backpack, uh, wow. some torches. Yeah, so definitely look into uh, what those packs uh, have on, like have in them. Because a lot of times you'll just lose track of, well, I don't have a torch. And when in reality, you really do. You just have to check the contents of the pack. But otherwise, uh, something specific, we would just have to ask Sam if there's a shop nearby and that we can spend our gold on. I see it's on page 151, the equipment packs. and what's Yeah. In hey, guys, I'm back. Hello. Oh, yeah, no Sorry about that. Lost power. We've already left the island. Yeah, awesome. Got a boat and everything already, huh? We're off and running. That's, that's the best thing that happens when the DM just goes away all the time. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> wow. Uh, you talking about encumbrance? Uh, he was just talking about uh, items and uh, just kind of basic necessity items, and mm -hmm. if we have any. So I was explaining that the packs that we have uh, that were given to us in our equipment lists have kind of basic necessities, like a bedroll, a backpack, some rations, some torches, and stuff like that. Uh, yes, though that is correct. Those packs have pretty much all of your essentials that you need in there. If there is something that you want extra, feel free to you know take a look at equipment lists and whatnot, and we can talk offline about that. You don't have to necessarily look it up right now and, and try to figure out uh, what you have um, at this very moment. So where we left off, Imarin, we were talking about Imarin being in the library. Oh, we, we already hashed all this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so tell me about it. Tell me, tell okay. me what's going on. <laughs> okay. So, so Emery and I are familiar with each other from the library, from the library repository, whatever it's called. Okay. And um, from my time, hanging out down at the docks and going to the local pub, listening to the, the, the talk from the sailors and just the general rumors that happen from uh, storytelling in the pub. Um, I saw this, this very strange white lion-esque creature that I'm not at all familiar with. So I just had to go introduce myself. And after meeting him, I, I, I went back to Emrin later and said, you've got to meet this crazy creature. You've got to watch him put away drinks. And, and uh, he's quite a spectacle. Come on, I'll show you him. The name of the main sort of tavern that all the locals go to is the Swimming Sword Tavern. Swimming Sword? The swimming Sword. 
Swimming Sword is owned by uh, two humans, a male named Glaphius, and he runs it with his daughter, Taruma. Being from this area, you probably know them pretty well. Okay, so so that's how you all met. Okay, tell me when was the last time, and describe for me what actually happened, but when was the last time and what happened when the three of you worked together to solve a problem? Um, is there any, any kind of problem? or? Any, any I was going to say, if we have to pick a problem, Ash is probably in a bar fight. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a little more likely. He tries to be more <laughs> friendly, but I'm sure he may have uh, pissed off maybe some wrong people. Uh, sure, we could go with that. Okay. Probably rival, rival buccaneers and such. Okay. Kind of a rowdy type. He's, you know, yeah. he's good. He doesn't want to make anybody yeah. angry, but, you know, get a few drinks in him. And, you know, like you said, like we said earlier, when his, when his courage is challenged, he refuses to go down. So if they <laughs> feel like they're going to talk smack, well, he doesn't just sit by and let it happen. So he'll, uh, he'll bust out some, uh, a can of, you know, whoop ass uh, if he has to, if he has to. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so it would be evident that the fight was 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 brewing and, and hostilities were rising, and so we tried to disarm the situation until until one uh, drunk, belligerent patron happened to call him a coward, <laughs> and then it was on. <laughs> there was then there was no disarming the situation. Yeah. Nope. Okay, so what did you do? Did you fight alongside him, or did you break up the fight and pull him away so he didn't get in trouble? Are fights common in this bar? <laughs> That's up to you to decide. It is a port town. I don't yeah. see a port town. Yeah. yeah. Then I then I would say that we would we fight alongside him, or I would anyway. Perfect. <laughs> All right. If you're willing to fight fight with me, then I will definitely fight for you. <laughs> okay, Axley, who do you trust more, Ash or Imran? Uh, probably Emerin based on knowing her a little longer with common interest. And after this fight, <laughs> I'm not exactly <laughs> sure where this other relationship is going, if this is going to be good for my health. Okay. I see how it is. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you trust more? It's hard to say. I wouldn't trust more one more than the other. Uh, honestly, he, if, if they, if they call him their friends, he puts, a hundred and ten percent trust into into both, okay. he, which is which may, uh, especially maybe in his past and maybe perhaps in his future, may be his downfall. Uh, so he trusts. Maybe he's a little too trusting. Okay, Imarin, you know the question that's coming. I think, in terms of trust, she definitely trusts Axley more. However, I think she really strongly admires Ash. I think she admires his just like the ability to go at it no matter what, like just always being willing to take action. But I think in terms of trust, she would have to trust a little bit more of a steady head, more like Axley. Okay. So I'm going to start with Imran this time. What's one secret that you have that no one else knows? Ooh. And so I will tell uh, everyone now the reason I don't do secrets that only the one player and the DM knows is because I think it's more interesting for every every player to know the secrets of a particular character because then you can 
uh, either inadvertently or on purpose, put that character in a position where that secret might come out. Uh, and you can then see to what links they'll go to make sure that secret doesn't come out. And those things don't emerge if no one else knows the secret except me and one player. So I'm going to ask all three of you for a secret. So, <laughs> so Imran's on the hot seat right now. But oh, dear. Um, two of you. <laughs> a secret. If you need a minute, I can go first. Go for it. <laughs> Sam, is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Ash's secret, he has a crippling fear of people disowning him or not liking him. So when Emmerin says that uh, she admires Ash for his tenacity and for him, you know, uh, being kind of relentless and uh, in his ways, he has a crippling fear deep down that that will turn people off and that, they act like they may like him and turn around and really just not enjoy anything about him at all. So he has spent more than many restless nights helming the ship at night, uh, looking up at the stars, wondering, you know, is, is, is anybody really being truthful to me or am I just alone in this world? Okay. Uh, Axley or Emerin? This is rough, huh? I, this, yeah. this is, session zero is not prepared. I yeah. put all the onus on the players. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Can we add secrets later on? Sure. <laughs> so let's let's go past that then, and I will ask you uh, the next question. Tell me the name of someone who is a rival or enemy that you have, and why they are your rival or enemy. Hmm. <laughs> I cheated. I have a list of questions. Yeah. Um, so while everyone's thinking about that, Ash. Yep. Uh, where are your parents? Don't know. My okay. fa- my father. I definitely never knew my father. Uh, as far as I know, you know, my mother never talked about him. But uh, then uh, my mother and I got separated, and uh, as far as I know, I woke up on the maiden's vagrant and was found by the captain. So he okay. ended up being a father figure to me. Okay. Were you ever betrayed by anyone? Hmm. Cause I was thinking about that in terms of my rival, uh, on the, on the ship I was from, uh, there was a, uh, another sailor by the name of Vigar and we, uh, he was a human and he always had it out for Ash because of maybe feeling that Ash got special treatment from the captain of the ship. Um, he was nothing, or I was nothing more than a stowaway. So why did I get responsibility? Why did I, why was I, you know, not swabbing the deck and I was helping the ship and navigating. So there was that kind of rivalry. And perhaps there might have been an instance where Ash may have gotten himself into a little trouble and on the ship. And maybe Vigar turned him in after swearing that he wouldn't. He was a witness to this event. Uh, okay. And said, Oh no, your secret's totally safe with me. It's probably something maybe uh, trivial or embarrassing, but you know, enough to enough to get you uh, in trouble. And uh, he slipped under the radar and uh, okay. got Ash in trouble. Immerin, 
What was the last thing that you found out about either in the library or in some, in maybe in the temple or somewhere where you were studying and you were looking for things? What was the last thing that you found that made you think it's time to leave the island? You are killing me with these hard questions. Sorry. I have I have answers to the previous two though. Okay. So let's, I'm working my way it, yeah. up. Okay. But so my rival has always been my older brother, okay. who just always very competitive um, within the guild, like working on anything that we were building or selling or doing anything. He was always better, always kind of like the favorite. And he got to leave and do his own thing. I haven't gotten to what he's doing yet, but he got to leave the guild and like pursue his own, um, his own, whatever he wanted to do. And so that's my like rival, which kind of leads into the secret. Um, I'm trying to find my mother so I don't feel guilty about leaving my father. So when I find my mother, okay. I want to be able to leave the guild as well. So I don't really plan on coming home. So so the secret there is that you don't plan to come home. Yeah. That's actually the secret. Okay. Okay. Axley, what do you got for me? Okay. Um, my river is uh, Dahmer Brittlespoon. He's the he's the son of a rival a rival house back home, and they're a merchant family. Um, so they have a, a they're very well to do, and they have a thriving like uh, business of importing uh, goods and sundries. And uh, uh, so, my secret is that uh, in order to spoil the name of his family, um, I I snuck into their warehouse and uh, put spoilage in a lot of their their food stuffs. So then they got the reputation of you know, cheating and, and, and having very poor quality goods and it, it hurt their reputation tremendously. Oh, classic halfling move. <laughs> okay. But, but, um, uh, but Dahmer found out about that. And so he now knows that I did that to his. Oh, friend. did he tell anybody or is he just trying to seek revenge on his own? I don't know. I left very quickly. That was another motivator for going. Uh, That's really funny because my question to you, my next question to you was going to be, why are you running away? (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. Okay. All right. So let's, let's actually move to the next sort of thing that's happening. It is the day before the Dawn Watch. And so I will remind you that the Dawn Watch is basically the first day of the year. It is the the celebratory day that commemorates uh, the realization that people actually survived the sinking, and that now it's time to rebuild civilization and and move forward instead of looking back. And so it's the day before that. It's basically like that's like New Year's Day for people, except there's no real like New Year's Eve celebration. That that thing doesn't happen. But what happens is usually it's a very festive. Uh, event to have to have dawn watch and people have lots of markets and uh, if there's any sort of bardic troops or dramatic troops in the area they come and they perform for people and it's this very sort of festival type atmosphere but unfortunately 
there's a huge storm. So right now it's the eve of dawn watch and there's a huge storm and you're uh, all in the tavern because part of what you were going to do was you were going to earn some, some cash by helping people set up their, uh, their, their market stalls and their, their different celebratory, uh, you know, uh, celebration banners and things like that. But because this huge storm moved in, no one's setting anything up right now because they're afraid it'll just be blown down. So everyone's kind of uh, hanging out in the taverns, (laughs) basically, uh, because lots of farmers brought their goods in so that they could set up market stalls. But now the weather's too bad for them to go back out. You know, it'd be kind of pointless to go back out to their farms several miles away from town, possibly in some cases. And it's not helpful for... um, you know, anyone to be setting anything up. So there is a lot of activity in the taverns. There's a lot of activity in the inns. Uh, No one's really on the streets. There's a horrific downpour. There's the huge sort of windy uh, set of events coming through. Uh, It's sort of this gusty type of thing where the wind dies down and then all of a sudden it it picks up really quickly for a few minutes and then it stops. And um, that creates really, really bad conditions in the ocean. And so everybody that's in a ship has come and they're either in the bay sort of anchored out because there's no more spots uh, on the docks. So they've anchored out and they've rowed in or they are actually anchored uh, at the long docks, which go out far enough to be in the deep enough water for those ships to actually anchor and be connected to a dock. But basically what happens is you're all in the tavern having a good time, relatively speaking. I mean, it would have been a much better if you could have been working and earning some money. Everyone's sort of drinking and there is a festive atmosphere because everyone is hoping that the storm will blow over. And as you're sitting there at the bar drinking, a little girl runs in and she says that she saw something happening down on the beach near the lighthouse. And most people ignore her. Well, I, Ash, is going to go right up to that little girl, get down on one knee. Little girl, how may I help you? What distresses you, little girl, little human girl? I saw I saw something happening, big things with claws down on the ocean, down on the ocean. And then they crawled out and they're eating something. And I'm worried about my daddy. Oh, God. Ash is going to look down at his own hands and look at his claws and then slowly put them down. <laughs> well, little human girl. She I says, will... no, no, like these. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Perfect. All right. That's well, it looks like uh, it's a call to adventure. <laughs> and I better answer said call. And so I'm going to look to my companions. Come, companions. Adventure awaits. People are in danger. We must go. Are you lawful good? What happened? <laughs> I'm chaotic good. Okay. That's good enough. What, girl, girl, where, girl, where is your father? Where did you last see your father? He runs the lighthouse. Is he inside the lighthouse? I thought I was going to go visit him, but I saw scary things on the beach and I turned around. And you ran away before seeing your father. Yeah. Good idea. They're eating something and it looked gross. It did not look like your father. Her eyes, her eyes get really big. <laughs> oh, that was bad. Of course, I, yeah, I, that's, okay. that's not. Uh, okay, so, I, don't know, I don't know. 
when she starts crying, just tears. I, here, here, here's, kind of, here's, here's a copper piece. Get yourself some milk oh, at the God. at the bar. We we'll be back shortly. I'm sure with your father in tow. Uh, Taruma, the, the, the barmaid, you know, the owner of the bar, she comes over. She says, what, what's all, what is this? You're upsetting the little girls again, Ash. What have I told you about this? I, I don't mean to frighten little girls. I'm sorry. And then like, <laughs> as he's saying this, like his face is pretty close to her. So he's just seeing, she's just seeing like his big fangs and getting a little bit of spittle on her head. I know, no, no. At this point, I start ushering you guys towards the door, like, Okay, that's enough. Yes. So I tell um what's her name again? Taruma. Tamara? Taruma. Sorry. Um I tell Taruma to look after the girl. Um just keep an eye on her. Um we'll be back in a little bit, but we're gonna go check on her father. Um and we usher out the door. <laughs> Wait, little human girl, what is your name? <laughs> little DM, look up the name. <laughs> Her name I'm still is, too terrified to talk. Her name is Veda, B-E-D-A, Veda. Veda, Veda. All righty, uh, little Veda, I promise. Well, maybe not promise, but we will at least figure out what happened to your father. She's she's doing okay, thank you. Have your coats. It's, it's uh, blustery outside. It is, in I fact. cloak about me. If you open the door, the door sort of does that thing where the wind hits it and it swings it and it goes... Bam, 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 bam. And, and then, of course, then molt, many of the patrons in the bar look over, shut the door. You know, they don't, they don't want you to disturb their festivities. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the three of you leave, I'm assuming. Yes. 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 <laughs> Please. <laughs> uh, so you're now out on the street and the streets are mostly mud at this point. Um, they are generally well cared for, but the storm that has been uh, hitting this town all day has really, really done a number on most of the structures in place to keep things set up and clear. Um, it's kind of an unseasonable storm at this point. Uh, even though it's relatively cold season, you really don't have a lot of rain and wind. So uh, it really was an unexpected kind of thing. So there are rivulets of water that are running down the street, but they're not really rivulets. They're more like little creeks. So basically all of these little creeks are running down, uh, the, down the roads and they're all converging, of course, into the big river that leads out uh, into the bay. Yeah. And so you can easily follow those. You, you all have lived here long enough to know that the, the part of the, the side of the bay that has the lighthouse on it is in the north. And you can actually walk across uh, the bridge from because right now you're sort of uh, so there's a river that comes through and you're across the river. So you have to cross the river and then go down to that side of the bay. Um, it's a stone bridge, so there's no issue there. There's not there's not going to be any problem there. At least you don't think there's going to be a problem there. Uh, and if you cross that part of the bridge there's there there actually is no problem and you can go from there down to the little fishing village there are lots of different little huts and homesteads and whatnot down really relatively close to the beach the waves are uh you know probably 10 foot swells at this point so when you look out even the protected bay inlet 
which has the sort of rocky uh, cusps around the edges, is there's really huge swells in there. So it's it's pretty scary right now. There's lots of cloud cover, lots of lightning. There's uh, there's rain coming down almost sideways. Uh, so you're sort of huddled. You've got your cloaks wrapped around you. Um, and so now I need to ask you, who has dark vision? Nope. Nope. I don't oh. think halflings. I don't think. Oh. They Okay, so only Ash has dark vision. So uh, you have to make sure that you can uh, stay close enough to Ash that you can see him because uh, the clouds uh, keep covering the moon enough that it gets really dark all of a sudden, and then it'll get bright, and then it gets dark, and then it gets bright. So it's a pretty scary kind of situation. I think at this point, I'm clutching his cloak, trying not to like slip and fall in the mud. Okay, So I'm right there. Okay. Watch, watch the tail. Watch the tail. <laughs> Lucky for us, he's a giant white furry cat. So. <laughs> Very true. He is a giant white furry cat. Um, so, uh, so you get closer to the area where you think the little girl was talking about, and you actually see um, about three or 400 feet off of the beach a boat that looks like it's half sunk in the bay, which was not there earlier today. So it's not a landmark or anything like that. It's new. And as you look down on the beach, Axley and Imarin, you see shadowy things moving. Um, you, you see definite movement. Pretty much yeah. that's all you can see. Ash, you see what look to be really, really large crabs skittering on the beach to and from piles of something okay you're a little far to tell at this point okay um now the ship in the distance is Mm -hmm. that are we talking long ship are we talking like a pirate galleon what are we small sailing vessel okay sitting really low getting hammered by swells not moving Okay. And how far how far are we from where I'm at to the crabs? Probably 300 feet. You guys are still kind of on the upper the the area is kind of hilly and it drops down into a beachy area. The crabs are definitely on the beachy area. You're still kind of up above. How many do I see? At least 2. At least 2. Okay. At least 2. I'm going to relay the crab information to the other two. So be wary, companions. There are two large crabs down there, and they don't look friendly. <laughs> well, that's Can terrible we... news. I hope it doesn't bode poorly for that poor lass's father. I was uh, say... On the right side, I do have to let you know that my family has an amazing recipe for boiled crab. <laughs> oh, stop. And he... Ash rubs his tummy. Not now. Not now. I was only drinking earlier. <laughs> his stomach growls. Yeah. <laughs> You can't tell if it's him purring or his tummy growling. <laughs> it's a it's a mixture of both. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Imarin, what were you going to suggest? Um, can we like skirt the crabs and get to the lighthouse? You probably could attempt to do that. I will tell you that the 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 path to the lighthouse is pretty treacherous. Um, it is so the lighthouse. The way that the bay comes out is the town is sort of here, okay, and then one sort of 
uh, sort of in a half moon shape comes out like this okay. and, then, and, and then to the bottom as well. And those are sort of these rocky cliff type. It's almost yeah. like pincers of a, of a crab almost actually. And so the lighthouse is basically right here, but this entire thing that's my finger right here is all big cliff and it's basically stone. So to walk up that in the rain and wind is very treacherously dangerous. So you could, you could skirt them. Um, that would be a difficult way to go. Yeah, with my nine dexterity. <laughs> with your negative one modifier. My negative one modifier. Yeah, no. Not, not my option. You guys, it's probably not good to split up. But. Yeah. but you do see that when you look at the lighthouse, you see that the brazier that is used as the beacon light there is lit and the mirror that because it's not it's not a magical light it's actually a big brazier he, the, the lighthouse keeper keeps the fire going and mm -hmm. has a mirror that he uses and it is actually uh moving the way it's supposed to okay okay could we does it look like we could get to the door of the lighthouse if we st stuck to more of the side away from where the crabs are if you went around, you would have to go through that treacherous path. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the door is, if you can get through that pathway along that cliff and up the cliff and then all the way to the lighthouse door, sure, it looks like it's clear. There's nothing blocking it that's not normal. And the girl mentioned she th thought they were doing some activity down by the shore, eating something. Do we, do we want to investigate that or do we want to try to avoid these creatures? My fear dear Axley, is that if we take the more dangerous path, our poor, we may be nimble enough, but our poor Clara <laughs> companion may take a, uh, may have an early career if she tumbles down the rocky cliffside. So maybe we should, uh, who knows? Maybe these crabs are friendly. You never know. It's like we're crab catching, man. <laughs> Deadliest catch. Let's do this. I'm game. All right, okay. so so Ash will, um, he, it, it, amidst the, is it raining, right? It's pouring rain. It's still pouring rain, yes. Yeah. So as, as quietly as I can, I'll be like, follow my lead, and I'll, I'll lead us down to the beach area. Okay. As I'm like slipping and sliding in the mud because you're now in front and I'm very <laughs> unstable. Is there is there some kind of a bardic... Uh, 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 ability I can I can use to like <laughs> the party as far as uh, make make us courageous and, and steadfast. Uh, like, can, I, can I sing the ingredients to my family's sweet and spicy crab <laughs> recipe in a in a very <laughs> upbeat way? Uh, you might make the crabs really mad. <laughs> Wait until yeah, I let's, have let's stay pretty quiet. Off. <laughs> <laughs> um, at this point, I don't think that you have something in your uh, bard's back pocket, uh, okay. so to speak, that will help you in this situation. I think you you don't get a sort of inspiration type of thing until third level. Okay. Um, but you can all roll me a stealth check. Dexterity so check with your stealth skill. Thirteen. And this is, it's based off Dax, right? So is it, is it, uh, so stealth is a skill. So it's going to be a D20 roll plus your dexterity modifier. And if you are proficient in stealth, you'll add your proficiency bonus. Okay. I roll a five. So that's an eight with my bonus. Okay. 
And what did Ash get? Ash rolled a natural 20. And that makes that a 26. Impressive. Good thing you have all these losers hanging on to you that are loud. I was going to say, I think the rest of us ticked them off, but you're safe. So the other thing, Imran, is because you're wearing scale mail, you actually roll your stealth with disadvantage. So you have to roll another d20, and then you tell me the lower results. Oh, it's not lower. I got a 17 that time. Okay. So I stick with my 13. Yeah. And then Axley got a lowly eight. Is that what you said, eight? Uh, Yes. You guys are sneaking down the beach. Now, are you going to try to, what's your, what's your goal here? Are you going to try to sneak up to the crabs and attack them without them realizing it? Or are you going to just try to sneak up and see what's happening? Or what's your, what's your look at like the stuff on the ground. I want to see what that is. Okay. Okay. I don't know about everybody else, but I yeah, want to know what they're... See their behavior. What are they doing? They've obviously been here for a little bit and they're still in this location. So what is it they're doing? Are they just milling about? Do they have something? Yeah, you, you see them sort of using their, their main claws on the items that are on the ground and then like pushing them into their mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Ash, Ash's goal right now is to... He wants to stealth as close as possible uh, and then uh, basically he'll lead the charge. And as soon as he attacks from the shadows of the rain, that'll be the, all right, everybody go kind of thing. Okay. Well, I'm um, going to draw my bow then and knock an arrow because I don't have anything that is up close and personal is going to be that useful. Okay. Uh, so you're going to kind of stop following then. You're going to yeah. actually stay behind a little bit. What's the range yeah. on your bow? Do you remember? Is it eight, twenty, uh, or something like that? So when when you have a ranged weapon, that the first number before the uh, range, the first value in the range, it usually has two ranges: one number and then a slash, and then another number. And when you have that, the first number is the sort of normal range of that weapon, and the second number is that long range of that weapon. Okay. It's eighty slash three twenty. Okay, so so what you're going to want to try to do is get around 80 feet away and that's going to be your you know maybe a little closer maybe 60 or something so that if you have to run in you could actually reach them in a couple of turns um and that's where you'll so luckily because you rolled the worst stealth so they're going to go forward and you're going to sort of hang back but i will tell you that uh when the three of you get to about 80 or 70 feet away uh actually stops and draws his bow and knocks an arrow and you're now close enough that when lightning hits and it p- puts light on the beach, you see that there are actually four really large crabs and that the piles of things that they are messing around with, one of them is a pile of broken barrels that had like fish and, you know, basically ocean food meat in it. And the other pile is a pile of bodies. Mm-hmm. That is being actively. That's what I was afraid of. Cut and eat. I was really hoping you were going to say that the barrels were full of tasty spices that they were rolling around. <laughs> what is it? A bay? It's a bay mix. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a bay mix. Yes. Old bay. <laughs> yeah, old bay. <laughs> Big red and yellow container of old bay. Yeah. Uh, so you stop at 70 feet so that you can fire at them. What yes. is Ash and Imran doing? 
Ash is getting as close, uh, and basically, uh, Emerin can decide what she because as soon as Ash goes, he's going to attack from the shadows. Okay, I was gonna say, I'm gonna go opposite of you so that when you draw attention, I can attack from behind. So you can imagine this in this way there is a, a pile, the pile of uh, of, of um, barrels is kind of in the north part of the beach and the pile of bodies is about 20 feet south of that two of the crabs are messing around with the things in the barrel and two of them are messing around with the bodies the ones with the bodies are actually the ones that you saw because they're actually closer to where you were coming from because you guys rolled good enough stealth checks the crabs do not notice you um and and because actually stopped because his stealth roll was pretty low, but he stopped. So he stopped in time for them to not notice him. And it's still pretty dark outside. But because of that, I will give you a surprise round. So both Ash and Imarin will be able to get a lot closer and then have a surprise action. And uh, Axley will also get a surprise action. And I presume you'll probably be waiting until after they act to do anything. Um, but what that means is I need an, an, uh, uh, an initiative roll from everybody, and then we'll do the surprise round. Okay. Uh, I got a 19. All right. 15. Ash got a 19 as well. Which one of you has a better dexterity? Uh, my dex is 17. My dexterity is 19. Okay. Now, I didn't add my initiative bonus do i do that from yes the add your initiative bonus sorry oh, okay that would make it a 22 wow look at that i rolled a 19 yeah yeah okay so let me make a roll here oh i rolled a five <laughs> okay so normally what i do is i roll once for all the creatures i don't roll individual initiative for the creatures uh when it's a mixed group i generally take the initiative bonus of whichever group is bigger. So if it's like 50, not that I'd throw 50 zombies at you, but let's say it's 50 zombies and um, and two necromancers, I'm going to use the zombie initiative, not the necromancer initiative. So I'm going to use the, the majority one. If it's even, I pick. That means that creatures, I rolled really low this time, so they're going to go last. Now, what I do is kind of a modified side initiative. I wrote this in the setting guide, but just in case you don't remember, uh, I let everybody roll initiative. And the the way this initiative works is basically this is going to determine who goes in the surprise round in what order. But then after that first round, then because all of you guys are together um, before the creatures, you guys basically get to pick what order you go in so you can feel free to coordinate your actions however you'd like. So I don't use the strict number after a surprise round. What it will determine is if the creatures were in between, it would determine which of you go before the creatures and which of you go after. But then whoever is going for, you know, whoever's, if there's a, if there's two of you or three of you that are on either side of those creatures, you'll all go together basically at the same time. Um, so what this means is actually, and so uh, theoretically, right, uh, you know, the way D&D works is everything is sort of around and then you go and then you go and then you go and then you go. But really it's all technically happening at the same time. So right now I'm going to let Axley say what his action is. And then we'll resolve that. And then Ash will go and we'll resolve that. And then Imran will go and we'll resolve that. But really that's happening all at the same time. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna draw the bow and, and take aim at the next nearest crab that's not the one that they're advancing on. Okay. Um, and then I'm just gonna hold my fire until they complete their actions. Well, so they'll they'll complete their sneaking around action. So if you want to attack, you can attack without messing up their cover, right? Without okay. Yeah. Then I just don't want them to be in the line of fire, and I didn't want to. You know, yeah. No. I'm I'm not worried about. It. So there's there's four crabs. So it's possible for you to aim at one that's not where Imarin okay. or Ash are at. Okay. okay. The only choice you have to make is whether you're going to aim at ones that are messing with the barrels or ones that are messing with the bodies. Uh, I'll take out one of the ones that's messing with the bodies. Okay. Okay. So go ahead and give me an attack roll. Okay. For range. Uh, just rolled a natural 20. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. So. You're going to roll, uh, so that's obviously going to hit. So you're going to roll your damage twice. So whatever your damage die is. So for a short bow, it's probably a D6. A D6. And then uh, you're going to add your bonus once. Okay. I rolled a four and a four. So my bonus for dex is a plus three. So 11. So 11. Okay. So I did not have my dice out and ready. Isn't that a shame? Okay. Natural 20 on the first attack roll of the game. Yeah, wow. Nice. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I hope uh, the trend continues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you guys, right as you're about to attack, I'm assuming you're going to attack, right about right when you're about to do the action that you were going to do, you see an arrow come out of the darkness as lightning <laughs> flashes. You see an arrow and it hits one of the crabs right in between its two eye stalks. And the crab just sort of collapses down, just almost like a machine that got shut off. Uh, and when it hits the sand, it sort of shimmies a little bit and almost tries to cover itself up a little bit with the sand. And then it is Ash's turn. Now, was this the crab that Ash was going to attack? You can attack whichever of the other three that you want, or you could attack that one if you wanted to. There's okay. Some- that are uh, south near the bodies and two that were up by the barrels and he attacked one by the bodies. So now there's really only one active one by the bodies. Okay. Yeah. Cause that one is for all intents and purposes dead. As far as you can tell. Yeah. As far as I can tell. Okay. Um, then yes, uh, I will go for the other one and try to get a sneak attack on it if possible. Sure. All right. It does not know you're there. So yes. Okay. All right. And that is a 16 to hit with my first attack because uh, I've got my dual wheel cutlasses. Mm-hmm. And that will be 11 points of damage on the first swing. Okay. Now, when you swing into this creature, mm-hmm. you notice for the first time that its shell is mm-hmm. not really what you thought it was going to be. You thought it was going to be the hard shell of a regular crab, Mm -hmm. but it's soft and mealy. And um, you realize too, at that moment, as you slice in and then you're going to make your second swing, that this creature smells really gnarly. It smells like pungent, like rotting flesh. And as you cut into it, you see that it has spots on it where there are 
nasty parts of it that have rotted away and you can see the underlying tissue and it's really disgusting and mealy. Okay. All right. Well, looking at it. Oh, disgusting, you foul beast. And then I'm going to go in for the other uh, slash. Okay. And that was a 17 to hit. Okay, that's going to hit. Now, do I get... How much damage did the first one do? 11. Okay. Um, Now, do I... I don't get sneak attack with the second slash. Correct. No, only with the first one. I didn't think so. All right. Uh, And that is 10 more points of damage. Okay, so that one, you have basically cut its face off. You just, and it just falls to the ground. The face just kind of, front of it just falls off. Ha ha! And Imarin, you don't actually see those things happening because all of this is happening at the same time. So you snuck up to one of these other crabs. What are you doing? Um, Yeah, I guess I'll go for the one of the ones that's on the barrels. Okay. Um, Probably whichever one's closer to Ash, so I'm not too terribly far away. Okay. Um, and yeah, they're, I, they're only about 20 feet away, the, the barrel pile and the body pile. So okay, you're perfect. close enough that if one of you needed to go help the other, you can get there in one turn. Great. Okay. Um, and I, I swing my mace at it and okay. hit it as hard as I can. Okay. So make me an attack roll. So that's going to be a d20 plus your strength modifier. Plus your proficiency bonus. I have a 10. Okay. Um, You hit the top of this creature. You hit the shell of it. And your mace sinks in. (laughs) Like through the shell that you you thought it was going to be hard. And it just sort of sinks in. And when you sort of when you do the the after action where you're pulling it out, it kind of, there's sort of this gooey mass of mealy, gross tissue attached to the head of the mace as you sort of move it out. And it's uh, now has this big dent in it. And there's this sort of disgusting yellowish greenish substance running out of the creature. Um, But it's sort of, it's, it's, it almost looks around and like, what happened? Um, but as it sort of tries to move, there's a crash of lightning and you see kind of what Ash saw. You see these nasty spots on it that are mm. rotting on this crab. Um, and roll me some damage. Five. Okay. So you did not happen to kill that creature, um, but you did get its attention. Great. Now, that was a surprise round, which means the creatures don't get to go, and now you all get to go again. So the current situation is, actually, you shot at one by the bodies, right? Yeah, okay. So so there are two, now there's two by the barrels, and Emerin is by the those two, and the other two are down. But um, Ash, as you sort of look around to get your bearings and see uh, what's what has happened mm-hmm. and what the situation is the two crabs that had fallen down and kind of shimmied into the sand start moving around again and sort of stand back up. Oh no. The faceless crab rises again. Yes. 
Right. And so uh, technically initiative order is Axley, Ash, Imarin, but because you all go before the creatures, uh, I will let you choose which order you would like to go in. Um, I'll, I'm gonna, since I have a distance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold my fire so I can observe the results of the in-close combat to see where I may need to put my shot. Okay. And so if, if the two crabs are back up mm-hmm. out of the ground, mm-hmm. if I leave, and, and Ash has noticed this? Yes. Okay. And if I leave, I will trigger an attack of opportunity. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, the one that's closest to me, I'll turn around and with a snarl, <laughs> stay down, you ugly fiend, and I'll go back for two more uh, okay. attacks. Uh, the first one is a 22 to hit. That hits. For 10 points of damage. Okay. That and one falls down again. All right. Just and I'm going to go ahead and make sure, like, does it, did it look like last time? Yes, it looked like last time. Okay, so the other one, I'm just going to plunge in and, like, angrily stab at it. <laughs> okay, just roll me damage. You don't have to roll an attack for that. Okay, perfect. Uh, seven points of damage. Okay. Okay. So now uh, Ash is just snarling, angrily yeah. stabbing his cutlasses into this giant crab cor- corpse on the, on the beach. As you're doing this, the same thing that happened to her mace is also happening to your cutlasses. They're starting to, as you withdraw, they're starting to have this nasty, slimy attachment to them. No! <laughs> uh, Imarin, what are you doing? My gut reaction is to try like an elemental attack, but I don't think we talked a whole lot about like what my spells are. Okay. We did not Definitely talk about your spells, but we can talk this about them. a good opportunity. <laughs> we can talk about them now, yeah. So uh, did you pick spells or? I am looking at the spell mm-hmm. list and I know I have three cantrips and two first level spells. Yes. I guess it's mostly looking up what these do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. I mean, so it's, it's, yeah. So are, are you looking for one Just that's going to do yeah. <laughs> something that's like either fire or like lightning. I'm looking at guiding bolt is what I'm looking at. It's first level spell cleric mm-hmm. spell but I don't really know if that's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm trying okay. to find it. Yeah. So Guiding Bolt says uh, it has a 120-foot range. A flash of light streaks toward a creature of your choice within range. You make a ranged spell attack against the target. On a hit, it takes 46 radiant damage, and the next attack roll made against it before the end of your next turn has advantage. Um, and because that's because it will have a mystical dim light glittering all over it until then. Um, so that's going to do radiant damage, okay. um, which is divine energy, not necessarily elemental type energy. Uh, so if you're going for thematic, that does not hit your storm type theme. Right. Um, but it is a really good spell. <laughs> uh, you can... I guess I should probably get familiar with the cleric spell list. I'm sure Thunder Wave is on your your list. Thunder Wave is a good spell that deals with uh, a lot of creatures. If you want to, so here's here's the other thing. Um, if you want to try Guiding Bolt, if you decide mm-hmm. later on that you don't want to have had that spell, then that's fine. You don't have to prepare that spell anymore. Okay. 
um, mm. if you want to run guiding guiding bolt. Now, here's the thing about this: because this is a ranged spell and it's a ranged spell attack, but mm-hmm. you are in melee, you end up making that attack with disadvantage. Okay. The other thing you could do is move away first, but yeah. if you move away, you might take an opportunity attack. But then you would not make your whether that attack hit or not, you would not make your attack with disadvantage. You would just make a regular attack. Okay. Yeah, let's do Thunder Wave. I like that better. Okay. Yeah, Thunder Wave is a good spell. So Watch the friendly fire. Yeah, so the okay. <laughs> what I was going to say is the problem with Thunder Wave... <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> uh, there's always choices, right? Uh, the problem with Thunder Wave is that um, you're by the barrels, so it's okay. possible for you to target the uh, two crabs that are next to you by the barrels. Okay. And also the crab that is by the bodies. Okay. Um, but then you also have a chance of hitting Ash. If you, I mean, I, in terms of leeway, I'll give you a ton of leeway here. I feel like you could pivot and cast your spell in any direction that you want. So I think it's possible for you at this point, because of the way that this is set up, to hit the two crabs around you with no problem. If okay. you try to hit the crab that's still around Ash, you're going to have to move a little bit, which might uh, trigger an opportunity. Okay. I'll probably play it safe and just hit the two that are near me and see if that works. Okay. And we'll see how that goes first. Okay. So uh, so this is not a spell that causes you to roll an attack roll. So okay. basically, I have to make a saving throw for the crabs. And so that means I need to know what your spell save DC is. And your spell save DC is going to be 8 plus your spell casting modifier plus your proficiency bonus. Your spell casting modifier is going to be wisdom. So whatever your wisdom modifier is. And plus proficiency. Plus your proficiency, that's correct. Is 12. Okay, so I'm going to roll. So I'm going to roll for both crabs, one at a time. The first one rolled a 14. The second one rolled a 4. So one of them made their save and one failed. Now here's what that means. For Thunder Wave, Thunder Wave does 4d6, right? Am I right? No, 2d8 thunder damage. Okay, and so I need you to roll me 2d8. And the one that failed will take all that damage and be pushed. And the one that passed or succeeded on his save will take half damage and does not move. Okay. So I rolled a six and a seven. Okay. So 15 for one of them. Oh, man. Okay. And then the other one's going to take seven. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so here's what I need you to do. I need you to describe for me what you do when you cast this spell. Okay. <laughs> um, so I guess um, I turn to face both of them. So they're both kind of within my range of sight. Um, and it's vocal and somatic, right? So I have to make some kind of emotion and say something. Yes. Am I saying something I mean, specific? You don't have to make that up necessarily okay. just like <laughs> are you calling down like the power of Goris? yes your enemies yes and are, are you are you like an ostentatious spellcaster do you make a big deal that you're that you're 
you know, trying to to have your goddess provide you with the tools you need? Or are you sort of quietly like, okay, uh, I, I see where you're going with this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So as I turn to face both of them, I close my eyes and I'm like mouthing the prayer. I'm like invoking uh, the goddess. And as I feel that power, I start to get louder and louder. And then I cast the spell um, as forcefully as I can. Okay. So you guys see the two of you, Axley and Ash, you see something happening over there. And then all of a sudden these crashes of lightning occur and this enormous gust of wind occurs accompanied by a loud boom. And you see the two crabs that were closest to her and the barrels and all of the fish that were in the barrels. Everything just explodes out from her and flies 20 feet in all directions. Pieces. And that Ash, feels so good. That's Ash great. Is now standing That's there with fish guts <laughs> and rotten crab guts all over him on his pristine white fur. <laughs> I'm glad she's on our side as I'm like. <laughs> and uh, there, everything is gone. There's no more, no more crabs. The other crab also is now just down. Hurry, check the bodies for the father. <laughs> okay. So by the bodies. Yeah. So the bodies, there are four bodies, and actually, take it back. There are six bodies, and um, they are definitely dressed as seamen, right? They they are they definitely are are shipmen. Yeah. They're crew members of from some ship. Um, and they have on them, though, a little symbol embroidered on their tunics, right? Like in the shoulder, in the right shoulder. And that symbol is a symbol that looks... I'm sorry about your fur. <laughs> <laughs> the rain will wash it. The rain will... Oh, there, there you go. <laughs> Here's what the symbol looks like. The symbol looks like almost like an eyeball that is uh, like the white, it, it almost looks like an eyeball with a red pupil and with a, like the white, what would be the white of, of like a human eye is actually silver. And there are copper spikes coming out of, from the top and the bottom. And it looks like the eyelid has been half closed. So there's a red line in the middle and everything is silver, and there's sort of half of a pupil visible, and then there are these copper-colored spikes coming out of the top and bottom. I will send this to you, and I'll post uh, an image of that. You uh, ruined it for me, because when I initially saw that, I instantly hearkened back. My mouth started to water, because I saw my <laughs> aunt's special avocado nachos. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that's what you see on their on their tunics, um, but definitely they're wearing ship crew member type clothing. You know, I mean, it's not like they have a uniform on, but what they have on uh, is obviously something that a normal sort of crew would be wearing on a ship. And you all recognize that because you're from a port town. So now, being a member of 
a for well a former member of you know uh, a, a buccaneer crew uh does that symbol look at all familiar to me have i seen that on the on the high seas before you have not hmm. well they're they're mysterious to me and they don't what look like her father let's take help at all they're what what'd you say he was looking for a, a history check oh uh you can make a history check if you want to <laughs> Sure. And then we'll dig through their pockets. There we go. I got an 11, which that, that's without the bonus. Um, what is it with the bonus? The bonus Sorry. would be your uh, intelligence. It's plus two. Yeah. So 13. Um, nope. Nothing you have seen before. Okay. Do we actually like know what the father looks like to be able to identify the bodies in the first place? Well, he's a human. They all look the same. <laughs> Well, the good news is the father is probably not wearing a ship's crew tunic. So oh, there you go. But well for. when in doubt, we'll drag all the bodies back, and we'll have her pick one, have, pick out the right one. <laughs> uh, How about we so, just ch- check the lighthouse to see if her father's there, so the father can go get her from the tavern? You're right. We had a mission, oh. but I went through the pockets. Okay, okay. <laughs> go for it. I spilled uh, fresh guts all of you, so you can do whatever yeah. you want. Do whatever you want. So in their pockets, here's what you find. One of them uh, in their pocket, an earring made of a hardened starfish. Oh, that's mine. One of them has a tiny petrified seahorse. That's Emerin's. Thanks. One of them has a large scale that is... Similar to a fish, but not quite. Does it's it look fine. valuable? Uh, Does it look unique? There, yes, it looks unique. It's definitely mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, uh, are you the three has, for me? <laughs> one of them has a pouch with uh, fourteen gold pieces in it, and that is it. That's all they have. They don't even have weapons on them, which is odd. Hmm. A sailor never goes far without his weapons. So can we assume that these bodies are from the sinking boat that was out there? If you put two and two together, it would. It might be wise. Can you see the Good boat? Thinking. Does the boat fly any colors? Does it have a, a pennant on it? In the, uh, uh, in the distance, I saw in the dark, I only saw that it was a half-sunken ship. There was no, uh, no colors flying, no banners. But we could assume that was good on Emerin's part to, to put that puzzle together. So, yeah, uh, in the various crashes of lightning, the very brief moments of seeing that ship, you do not see any pennants on it, and you don't see any technology on the sails. Um, in terms of uh, what, what Nina asked earlier, Emerin might recognize the... Uh, the lighthouse keeper, you know, you guys have been in town long enough that, you know, most of the locals and the lighthouse keeper is a local. It's not a position that changes, you know, okay. yeah. Uh, it doesn't rotate. It's not like volunteer thing. It's that's his actual job. Yeah. So you probably would recognize that you might not, you know, you could probably pick him out of a lineup and none of these bodies look like him. Okay. I say we split the gold 80 me, 20 you guys. <laughs> All right. Perfect. How much total? I, I I don't see I don't see anybody complaining. Hey, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't gonna say anything, but 
Can't complain with that logic. It was it was fourteen gold. Okay. Um, what he's saying is eighty percent for him and twenty percent for the. Oh. oh okay. <laughs> well, you could imagine me being maybe the party treasurer. <laughs> he's a, he's he's doing that uh, tabaxi. I'm going to convince you thing, right? He he's exactly tabaxi. It's my witty charm that's rubbing off on you. Right. Right. However, if you take into account the cost of the earring and the large scale, you probably have more than both of us already. But if you also account for the salon care, I'm going to need to get the cram <laughs> out of my matted fur. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be, I mean, prices these days have inflated to a ridiculous amount. So friends, friends, I can't haggle over, over trinkets. I'm, I, I'm perplexed by this new mystery that confronts us. That What are these sailors doing? Having stolen my aunt's avocado nacho recipe. It seems they've gone into business for themselves with it. For as much as you talk about food, please tell me that you can back it up with the cooking skills. I'm starving. <laughs> so uh, give me, everyone, please give me an investigate check. What's an investigate? Is that a skill? Yes. Investigate is a skill. Sorry. I'll, I will be more careful about. I got a six. Six total? Total, yes. Or, okay. So investigate is uh, so I the what I will try to do is I'll I, I will try to start saying it the way that Wizards of the Coast says things and I will say please give me an intelligence investigation check from now on. Okay. I can't guarantee that I'll actually remember to do that. <laughs> you got a four. Yeah, a six and a four. Oh, jeez, what did yeah. Ash get? Ash got a twenty-two. Oh, there we go. Oh, Ash has hot dice. Is um, as you all are are trying to uh, divvy up the goods that you found. In the pouring rain. In the pouring rain. <laughs> it's important. Uh, Ash happens to notice that there is what looks like a little piece of parchment uh, under part of the remains of one of the barrels that got bone- blown apart by uh, Imran's spell. And it is a tiny stub of a parchment end, and all it says is, Hail, Lirilac. How's that spelled? Hail, like like the wind weather phenomenon. Hail. And Lirilac. L-E-R-A-L-A-K. Does this mean anything to you too? Uh, do I recognize the, the name? You can roll me a intelligence history check. Okay. And Imarin can roll me an intelligence religion check. I got a natural 20. <laughs> Excellent. Good job. I have a 14. Okay. Both of you recognize the name from some readings that you did in the library in Trast and Finn. But the name is sort of tangential to anything you were looking at. So you never really did a lot of research into anything about it. Um, But you do know that Larilac is the name of a powerful magic user in the old time before the sinking. Mm -hmm. And he was somewhat notorious for something, but because it wasn't related to what you were looking at, or you, at least you thought it wasn't related to what you were looking at, you didn't dig further into his history. 
I do recall coming across this name in the histories of the library, so it bears some further study. I will give the uh, parchment to Axley. Here you are, my little friend. I do not understand, but you seem to. You are wise. I'll bite the paper and say, well, it's not gold, but <laughs> True. it'll do. It's not the recipe you were looking for. <laughs> Onward to the father. Let's get him. <laughs> and Ash is going to run off toward the lighthouse. Okay. Are you going to wait for Imarin and... I mean, you're you're literally running off. You're not going to wait for Imarin and... and I'm going to run like five steps and like look behind. <laughs> and I'm going to shake my head and be very exasperated because I'm still like slipping and sliding around in the mud and <laughs> trying to climb the treacherous rocks is not going to go well if we're going that fast. Lead the way, my fish gut covered furry friend. So there's two ways we could go about this. Uh, the first way is you can uh, run it with skill checks. So you can all attempt to make it from where you are right now safely to the lighthouse to talk to the lighthouse keeper. Or you can say that you're going to take as much time as you need to carefully make the trip. And in that case, it's probably going to take you two and a half hours to the lighthouse. Yeah, it's that treacherous. But you would that would be two and a half hours of you all working your way really slowly amongst the rain, amongst the wind, right? I mean, we're talking almost gale force winds here. So right. you're, it's extremely dangerous. So if you want to go faster, there's going to be some skill checks that have to be made. If you want to take your time, you're basically taking a 20 um, but it, that's taking a lot of time. What about companions? If one of us or two of us go off on ahead and someone takes the short route or, you know, some of us take the short route, the, the dangerous route, and then one of us takes the slow route or two of us, however we want to split it. I see where it's going. It seems like you with your nimble, your nimble skills is probably adapted at braving the rocks and getting there quickly. If the, if the gentleman needs assistance, probably best for you to go render that assistance as fast as possible. I'll stay behind with Emerin and we'll wake, we'll make our way slowly to the lighthouse. If you okay. need anything, if you get into any danger, you know, our safety call. Our call for distress. The call. Bingo. Good. Glad we <laughs> talked about it. And I'm going to run off into the rain. Okay. So what I need from you is uh, two checks. I need a wisdom survival check from you, and I will need a uh, dexterity acrobatics check from you. A wisdom. Which one? Survival. Uh, that is an eleven. Okay. And the acrobatics is a 17. Okay. Uh, make me a constitution saving throw, please. 21. Okay. You make it to the lighthouse in relatively short order, like 20 minutes, let's say. Uh, you slipped and fell several times. You sullied your pristine fur. <laughs> you did not fall, but you are now exhausted. So you have one level of exhaustion. All right. Uh, but otherwise, you are fine. The door to the lighthouse is locked and barred. I am going to politely knock. <laughs> uh, lightly? <laughs> lightly? 
lightly, politely knock, or are you going to pound on the door? I will pound as politely as I can. Okay. Uh, the uh, uh, A gentleman comes to the door uh, out of breath. Yes, yes. What is it? What is it? I, I, I've got to get back up to the light. There's a storm. I, Can't you see? Yes, yes. As, as I, the I'm door standing in it. Open, as the door swings open, he, he sort of looks up at you. Oh, uh, come in, I guess. Thank you. I, I was just expecting some silly person. I don't no. know who you are. The name, and I will do a flamboyant bow to him. <laughs> My name is Asha's White Mane, and I hope you have a cute little daughter who frequents the tavern every once in a while looking for help. How dare you! <laughs> My daughter frequents the tower, uh, the the tavern, the tavern. She doesn't frequent the tavern. No, no. Uh, but every once in a while, she has to go there looking for me. So yes, is she okay? Perfect. Yes, she's okay. She sent us to come and rescue you, a sir in distress. Why am I needing rescue? I have to get back up to the light. All right, get there. And I guess my companions are coming too. So hope you have snacks. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's stop there because I want to get in 15 minutes of conversation. Um, so you found the lighthouse keeper. He is alive. You found bodies of sailors with uh, sailors. weird symbol. Yes. Uh, and you defeated four zombie-like crabs uh, quite spectacularly by both blowing them apart. <laughs> Which actually is going to be inspired to write a a uh, poem about uh, Ash fighting off a case of the uh, crab infection. Excellent. I look forward to reading it. <laughs> I, your book is going to be half poem, half recipe. I could tell already. There you go. <laughs> I mean, we got some fried fish in there. It's fine. Yeah, totally. That's right. Exactly. As long as we embellish a but little Ash, bit of the heroism, I'm behind it. Ash hogged it all. <laughs> uh, so uh, on a normal episode, there won't be as much sort of talking uh that sounds weird there'll be a lot of talking because it's role-playing but there won't be as much talking through characters and whatnot uh in the next episode what we're going to probably do is for the first 20 minutes i'm going to check in with everybody make sure that you have your character completed the way you want make sure you're doing things like you know looking at what's happening by the way you're all going to level up to level two okay so the first thing that you're going to do when you level up to level two is you're going to roll your hit points and so you roll whatever your size of hit dice that you have, and then you add your constitution modifier to that. If you roll a one, my house rule is you roll a one for your HP, you roll again. Okay. You roll a two, though, that's what you got. Is there um, a rule where you can take, like, there's an average number you can take rather than a roll? Or? Um, I generally, I have you roll. If you want to take the average, that's fine with me. I don't have a problem with that. Right. Um, and it's then your average plus your constitution modifier. You always add your constitution modifier. Uh, so, and then the thing that you do is you look for your class and you look at what special ability you get at second level. Okay. Um, and then at that point, so when we start the next session, you'll all be at second level. Also, uh, you'll be safely in the lighthouse, (laughs) um, with the lighthouse keeper. Uh, and so, so the next session, the first 20 minutes or so, we're going to check in, make sure everybody's characters are, are doing well, make sure everything is okay. Nobody wants to change anything, at least not right at the moment. Uh, anything that we didn't resolve previously this session will be resolved in the first 20 minutes of the next session. And then we'll move forward with the game. 
and then we'll play for about two hours, maybe two hours or 15 minutes, and then I'll stop us and we'll have about 45 minutes, maybe an hour of conversation regarding different parts of the game, different rules discussions, different, you know, like this session, I stopped a lot and I walked through things because we're just making characters and whatnot. I won't necessarily do that in the future sessions unless someone has a specific question. Uh, so I, I imagine that in the first two or three sessions, a lot of times there's going to be a, can you tell me how this works so I can know how to perform this action that I want to attempt? And that that's fine. I'm not saying don't do that. Um, but as we go, then those sorts of conversations will end up being talked about at the end of the episode instead of during the episode. The first two or three episodes will probably have a lot of discussion during, but probably not as much as we did tonight because tonight was all character creation. Um, and so how do you feel? Great. Good. Yeah. Good. A lot yeah. of fun. fun. It was a good first session. Excellent. Do you feel like your characters are starting to be who you thought they might be? <laughs> Yeah, and you know what's interesting is there's an aspect of character development which is relying on the other characters too, right? Because you you envision your character in a vacuum, and then it may not exactly play exa- right with the other characters, and you mm-hmm. you tend to like flow a little bit into what the other characters' personalities are like too. So that's kind of cool to develop right. a little bit in the first session. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, that's part of also why I ask things like who do you trust, and how did you meet, and what was the last thing you worked together on, and things like that, because I, I think that a lot of times that happens, uh, specifically in D&D, especially if uh, once once everybody gets more experience and you kind of think you know what's going on, you come in, you might have an idea, but then that might change as you're creating your character and as you're looking at different things and you're hearing what other people are doing, definitely. That that happens a lot, actually. So that's it is an interesting aspect. It's part of the reason why I like how they did the the ideals and bonds and flaws. I, I like that idea. I think that it pulls in uh, an ability in, in the game for for people to really do that type of character building. Um, I'm not sure that I'm totally in love with it, but I do I do like it. I think I think there's something about it that that works. I'm not sure if it works well enough for what I want it to work for, but you know that's kind of a different conversation. Yeah, you yeah, feel the good? pressure of, of the questions, right? That we weren't expecting. That was, you know, it, <laughs> it sure, makes me yeah. impromptu character right. development, which, which is it's good because it means that you're not doing that in a vacuum too, right? You're kind of observing what the other characters are answering and doing things that aren't going to be too terribly um, detrimental to their choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and going off of that, the questions were definitely not something that I personally thought of. So it was like, oh, how would my character actually do this? And it kind of developed in a way that I wasn't really expecting. Um, And like, as someone who's very new to this, I still like kind of learning how the whole role-playing thing works and like feeding off the other characters. And like, we're all still learning how each other, like the talking speed, like kind of the discussion um, turns, how each we kind of build off of each other. Um, was definitely a learning experience. It's really new to me. So it's going to take me a minute, but I think even with the first session, it went really well. Like our characters are developing their, um, I mean, I, I really like where mine's going. So yeah. Um, good. Yeah, it's definitely different. It's not what I was expecting, but it's good. Okay, good. good. 
can you tell us a little bit about what you were expecting? <laughs> I don't, I think it's more what you were talking about. It was like, my character was in a vacuum. So I was like, oh, my character's going to do this and this and this, but you were playing with other people. So you can't really dictate what they're doing. And so I have to be a little patient and be like, okay, what are they doing? What do I have to do? Um, what's the situation turning into? So do I have to mediate and instigating and like, you kind of have to pick and choose where you come in and where you let the other players come in. So right. it's definitely like a team effort as to where everything's going, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So part of the reason why I do that secret thing is that that way, sometimes, you know, if you're playing a character who sort of stands back a lot and the other the other two characters are sort of rushing forward and always getting into trouble and you're having to kind of come along and be the voice of reason and pull them back. Yeah. Having that secret that I can, as the DM, I can set up situations where, you know, maybe maybe it's getting close to your secret and right. this, this is going to be a problem and it's going to cause you to have to be the one to sort of move forward that they're going to be, wait, 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 what happened? Something is going on because, you know, usually Imran doesn't, run off like that and now yeah they're going to get really excited at first and then it's gonna be like wait a minute yeah <laughs> so excellent excellent very good um so here's here's the last question that i have for you uh for the evening is um so we talked about just for the, for the audience listening the three of us or the four of us talked about uh different sort of thematic items in the game uh, a little while back in one of our pregame chats. And one of the things that that arose from that is that this campaign is going to have a focus on you all trying to figure out what caused the sinking and and what what created that situation that turned this world upside down, basically, and made it made it all sink under the ocean. And so my question is, well, let me put it this way. What level do you think your characters will be at at the end of this campaign like if that's your goal and that's the thing that you need to find out what level do you think that's going to make your characters like if everything went well we were to answer that question yeah assuming you you stay alive and everything happens and you 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 attain your goal by figuring out uh, of figuring out what that what the heck is going on and maybe even like i don't know reversing it or fixing it or changing it or at least just knowing what it is mm-hmm. what level do you think you'd have to be in order to actually accomplish that definitely by 15th level really well you think so that was higher than i was thinking because i was thinking like maybe the answer to that question isn't it's not like the end of the campaign right i guess if that were the the main climax of the story then yeah you'd be a high level but i i was thinking like once you learn why there's still a lot more story that can go on from there as far as what you do with that knowledge, right. Or what you have to do with that knowledge. So That's I would, kind of, my initial thought was maybe somewhere around like seventh to 10th, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I could see so that for sure. That's about, cause what I was thinking, knowing what happened and doing something about what happened are two different things. So I was thinking if we are to figure out what happened, I would say like 10 to 12, yeah. But if we're doing okay. something about it, I would say like 15, 16 is okay. what I was thinking. Okay. Okay. Uh, my next question is, I said, I lied last time. I said it was the last question I had. Here's my question. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so, uh, do you want to explore the entire world and learn lots of different things about lots of different areas, or do you want to stay mostly in your general area, your home area, and investigate and know a lot about that home area? Did anybody else see the dinosaur on the map? <laughs> no. <laughs> because that's where I want to go. <laughs> I want to go there. <laughs> so I would love to travel the entire thing because I feel like there is so much to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the answer to what we're looking for is going to be in one spot. Yeah. It's going to be a conglomeration of all the information we gather from all these different places. So I yeah. want to go everywhere, explore everything, get as much as I can, and then kind of figure out what we're going to do with that info. Okay. Yeah. And from my character's motivation, he, he definitely wants to go out into the great unknown, into that big question mark. I mean, he, he doesn't see the answers being here on this island. It's got to be out there somewhere. Okay. Because um, there's so the the island or the the island you're on is in one of six main regions. So that area that you have the map of is just your is one sixth of yeah. the common plateau, basically. I mean, just just reading your guide, right? Like, if I were to extrapolate that as like lore that's in the books in the library that I learned about in my scholarly studies, just the intriguing things about walls of water and giant mountains and everything in every direction. And I, I want to go see those things. I don't want to just read about them in a book. So I, I will tell you about, uh, so in, 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 in the setting guide, so I'll tell the audience just for the audience's sake in the setting guide, uh, it was described that um, there, the common plateau is the is the mortal plane and the common plateau is bordered by four major barriers and those four major barriers are um one of them is referred to as the acid veil which is this sort of big almost waterfall like wall of seemingly corrosive material you don't really know if it actually is acid that's just the name that it that it got given to it uh, that is actually to the um, east of you. To the south of you, the edge of the common plateau is where the world fall is. And the world fall is basically the idea that you know the world is water and it's a it's a it's flat, and so that means if there's water and it's falling off of a flat surface, it's a giant waterfall. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's ever gotten their ship too close to that area goes over the waterfall has never come back. Uh, to the that's to the south. To the north is uh, on the other side of the of the plateau where the edge is is these humongous giant cliffs that go up into the sky as far as the eye can see. No one has ever been able to climb all the way up, at least, and survived without falling off and dying. Uh, and to the west is an area called the doldrums, where you get to a point in the ocean where the there are these very large, very slow-moving whirlpools that trap the ships uh, in these whirlpools that have these extremely large kelp forests under them. And the ships get trapped in such slow-moving water they can never get out, and everybody on them perishes if they're not rescued. 
um, and no one has been able to get past that region. Although when you look beyond it, it looks like it goes for a very long time. And in fact, people who have been near the acid veil, they say that you can actually look through the acid veil and see the sea travel, you know, continuing on beyond that. But that's rumor. You don't actually know if that's true. Okay. Um, so that's those are the four those are the four barriers. So the cliffs, mm -hmm. the acid veil, the world fall and the doldrums and none of those areas to your knowledge have been surpassed at all they also did not exist in the previous you know before the sinking those things were not there hmm. so even though the world was still conceived as a, a sort of flat or or oval you know it, it was still debated whether it was kind of a sphere or a globe versus whether it's a flat plane and uh but those those edges did not exist they were different so Okay. So that's that. <laughs> so I think I think we're going to end there because it is ten o'clock. Let's uh, say goodbye to everybody. Thank you for watching, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Or thanks for listening if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, who has a Twitter account and who wants to plug it? Um, N base um, N uh, M dash base three. If you want to follow, <laughs> uh, come follow me at. Uh... Plus one longsword. I got a blog by the same name on Blogspot. You can check that out too. Cool. No, no Twitter for me. <laughs> no Twitter. He's a Luddite. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Not quiet. You're on a video stream, man. <laughs> uh, I am at DM Samuel on Twitter, and you can see my work at RPGmusings.com. And we hope you all enjoyed this. Awesome. Right. Bye. Thank you.